and welcome to episode 592 of Conversation Street, the Coronation Street podcast with me, I'm hot, Gemma. Harry even hotter husband. Michael, hello. Oh, temperature is rising. Um, well, it's risen. I, th- I think we're over the worst of it. It is. No, we're not. We what not? do you mean? Or today? I thought that I no. thought that yesterday was supposed to be the worst. No. The summer no. is back. The heat Don't is like back. It. Don't like School it. is back. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are we? First week back in September. Always lovely meeting the new class, but oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it takes a bit to get get back into the school mood. But um, yeah, we at Coronation Street was very kind to us this week, and they said. Um, they're going to put the final episode of the, week, episode of the week on Thursday because they know that we're going on a camping trip this Friday, aren't we? We're going on one tomorrow. So we have taken the um, possibly foolhardy decision we'll have to see to try and record this week's Conversation Street for you tonight so we can we can um, drive off and get under a tent again. I don't want to do that. Well, it's not the same tent as we took last time. You will it's remember our camping story is... before. I don't think there's any chance of it um, leaking even no, it's it was too... that tent, though. It's too hot. I don't like camping when it's hot. I don't stand people that go, oh, I like camping when it's hot. What, so you can get baked to death? What <laughs> yeah, do you want, fun. a little potato? It'll be fun. Yeah, we just thought we'd have to no, do something nice this weekend. And, and I'm sure Gemma won't cheap. complain about it at all. It's because it was cheap. Yeah, and, and Gemma's going to whisk me away straight from school tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna go up north, aren't we? It's, it's gonna be slightly slightly colder than here at least, but um, yeah. So no, it won't be. What do you talk? You don't know. What you're Further away about. from the equator, I I know. There's no teacher. difference. <laughs> um. So th- this may well be a shorter podcast. It's got to be shorter, right? Today we might, we're talking about. We may not waffle as much. Broadcast between the fourth and the seventh of September, episodes eleven thousand and forty-nine to eleven thousand and I'm going to do a quiz because it is boiling in here. It's utterly ridiculous. Can I, can I just say before you start, yeah, it's very, very important. We did an interview with George Banks on the podcast this week. That, in fact, it was <laughs> literally, I've just uploaded it not long before How we recorded I this. So um, I hope you've all gone and this. seen that and supported us in our hashtag bring back Henry again campaign. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 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 lovely chat with George. Oh, he's lovely, he's lovely Lovely George, George bring him back. He's our good friend. Henry it was, was It great. was funny because like, we were talking about things... Um, about his comeback, and I'd already had copious, lengthy conversations with George over the past month or two about him, but um, you couldn't tell from the interview. It was like I was being really professional and everything, and, and what, I was, I was acting on? like I didn't know the answer what's to some of the questions Street? I was asking him and things. But anyway, do go and check that out, for he is lovely. And um, that is all. Right, quiz time. Things that happened between, between the 4th and the 8th of September, and years ending in a 3 and a 8, and the sources from... Com- CoronationStreet.fanon.com <laughs> I'm not built for this weather, honestly. I'm, I'm built for like... <laughs> I've got like... You'd make a good Eskimo, I've wouldn't you? I've got like inches of lard to insulate me. It doesn't help <laughs> at all. It's uh... like, you know how that, that abbey will, will molt and shed her fur over the summer? <laughs> Do you wish that that would just happen to you? And... Wouldn't things be easier in it'd life? Be like, it'd be like that Doctor Who episode with Adipose. You remember the one with Sarah Lancashire in award-winning, multi-award-winning Sarah Ad- You know the one I'm talking about? Of course I do. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit it. disrespectful to you as I'm so messed That's up. That's fine, it's Just fine. Just have little fat lumps jumping <laughs> off of you and walking down the road. The way things are at the moment, Michael, I'll have to catch him back and eat him <laughs> just to save some money. Right, okay. 4th of September 1963, Walter Potts makes his debut under which stage name? Brett Falcon. Isn't it interesting they had two Big teams? Big in Yugoslavia. In yeah, I'm sure it was not a coincidence. 4th of September, 1998. Talking about people we love. Mm. Toya escapes the clutches of her fake dad and ends up in which forest? 
Oh, I don't remember, but that was some good scenes. Um, it's always a good scene. I don't know the names of many forests. I know we have we got the, our local forest. The new forest. The new forest. Um, I know there's the Forest of Dean. The Forest of Dean, it's not that one. Not that one. It's Nottingham Forest. No. Nottingham Forest, no, not that one either. I don't know, you have to tell me what was the forest. It was a London, I think it was London where she went down to go and see him. The Forest of London. <laughs> My geography is just on fire today, isn't it? I'm here to see the forest of London. I'm looking for the forest of London. I heard there's an oak tree there. Uh, Epping Forest. Epping Forest. You heard of Epping Forest? Yes. You would have done if you'd seen the episode on the 4th of September 1998. Or maybe recently on on the Coronation Street Classic updates. Not that recently. 5th of September. Well, I mean, it's more recent than 1998. True. So when you think that was, it wouldn't last year. (laughs) 5th of September 2008. Which unlikely duo are busted? Michael's squinting. I can't concentrate. For unlikely duo. Drug dealing. Unlikely duo busted for drug dealing. Yep. Oh. Two thousand and eight. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, that was before two thousand and eight. No, I don't mean. Is it? Is it something? Uh, Oh, mm-hmm. no. There's no point asking oh, me about the de- Dealing, dealing. Drug dealing. Now, this is a question I've formulated without any knowledge or remembrance of what this I've was. I've got an idea, but then I also thought that this has been on Classic on ITV3, but maybe it this hasn't. Is my, I'm uh, going to say Jack and Vera. Excuse that. Was I... it Jack and Vera? No, it wasn't. Oh. 2008. Yeah, that, oh, that was when Vera Classic. died 2008, wasn't it? Classic hasn't got to 2008, is it? No, 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 it hasn't. Well, um, why are you saying Classic then? No, no, no. I, I, no, I was saying it might... I thought it... Anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter It doesn't matter, does it? Uh, um, do I get another guess? Yeah, I don't have you one. do. This Gail? Is, this is not real... Is it Gail? This is one, one half of the... I've not even remembered I don't know if you know done. this, but this isn't working towards a qualification. Just tell me, tell me, who is it? <laughs> Ken Roy. Ken and Roy. Do you remember this? No, what happened there? No, I don't know. I just told you I don't know. Listen, that, now you've said day. the name. I've had a bad day. I don't know anything. Now you've said the name. I do remember there was something, but I can't remember the context. My whatsoever. reserves of knowledge about Coronation Street today is like getting asking me about EastEnders. <laughs> I, I don't remember anything that happened. It's like I've never Poor seen Roy it. Poor Roy's been busted for drug dealing, busted for dogging, busted for waving around a musket in a supermarket. I know. Think of all the things he could have done. <laughs> right, next. Seventh of September. I'm not writing down my score down, so I've got no idea how I'm doing. I think you've done zero. Seventh of September. Fifty mm-hmm. fifth birthday of which character? Is it a current character? The yeah. Fifty fifth birthday. So if we'd seen the episode, which we haven't done, maybe this person has a an epic bash, but yeah. probably not. No. They're in it now. <gasps> Jack Webster. <laughs> <laughs> get it Thank I you, get the God. joke the little Yay! bit of a delay there. do I get a point for getting the joke uh, no I don't know who is it um, if you were to know this person mm. a gift I would suggest for you yeah. would be a pair of earrings Webby Debster it's Debbie Webber happy birthday to her well yeah we are recording this we haven't watched Thursday's episode yet so if she is there at a birthday bash I refuse to believe that I've been as fabulous as Debbie it. Webster has not organised herself a champagne fuel right, go on night of shenanigans to celebrate her 55th birthday <laughs> 7th of September 2003 Peter wants to evict Todd and Sarah from the bookies flat because he thinks they were running a scam to steal electricity from the bookies but who actually did it 
I don't know. In 2003. I know, I get the question, I get the question. I sometimes repeat the year because you don't remember the year. I'm trying to be... Right, that's it. No more helping you out. I really don't know. I don't... I. Somebody's stealing electricity from the bookies. Right, so you know there's a bookies flat, right? Yeah. And, and it's above oh, the bookies, dear. right? Yeah. So, like... I... Sarah, so, so Todd and Sarah... Yeah, we're living in the bookies, I remember. And, and Peter's like, oh no, he's doing a scam. Yeah. Kieran McCarthy. Tony Stewart. Oh yeah. Do Don't that. pretend. I knew that one, of course I did. Eight it's really funny watching, sorry for anyone that's watching the classic, how different... Sorry for anyone who's watching classic. How different the old Tony Stewart was to, to the... The, the recast, isn't it? I'd forgotten what it was like completely, but he, like the recast one is like this charmer, ladies' man kind of guy, and the the, the original one, played by Alan Igman, was just a little slimy weasel, wasn't well, he? Well, I'm going to tell you, now, sit down everybody, you might be surprised, my Tony Stewart knowledge is shaky, mm. but I will tell you, I do know one fact about him. He stole electricity from Peter Barlow. I know two facts about him. What's the next one? He used to pile his tea bags into pyramids. I remember that as well. I remember that. <laughs> next, next, next. Come on. You said this would be a short one. <laughs> 8th of September 1993. Alf retires as a counsellor after how many non-consecutive, non-continuous oh, years in the role? Come on. Come on. I'm sorry, Michael. What was but the year of this that happened? 1993. 1993. Don't pretend that you guessing at this is any better than you not knowing the answers to the rest of them. Seven. You think Alf Roberts was a counsellor for seven years. I don't remember. How long was, was he in the show? Things. How long was he in the 17. show? 17. How long? He was in the show for 17 years? No, no, no. Years. He was in the year for, he was in the show for about 40 years. Right. I couldn't I mean, he was a He was a postman for a bit of it. A he was post a post office guy. Yeah. I, 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 I tell me. I'm, I'm trying to help you and you're not... 20 years. 26. 26 years. That's quite a long time. That is more than seven. I'm, I'm glad that today is the day that I've decided not to write down my scores. Any any more? Final left? question. Okay. Take it seriously. 8th of September 2003. Why does Dev have Eileen arrested? <sighs> Filling up the space with Why does Dev have Eileen arrested? Yeah. This wasn't when she... No. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I say. One phrase, the answer to I'm question. gonna say this is related to to Tony Stewart's electricity <laughs> stealing, and I think it was Eileen breaking into. Hang on. Yeah. No, go go on, go on. Eileen breaking into Tony's. So you think that Dev had Eileen arrested? I know it doesn't Eileen make sense. Did something? Yes. I don't know. Just tell me. Tell me. I don't know. Don't get mad at me because you're. I'm not mad at you because I'm stupid. You've lost I'm... your mind. Go on, tell me. Tony Stewart, he stole the streetcar's takings from her and blamed her for it. Okay. I forgot that. Don't get mad at me. That was terrible performance this week. Well, I'll quit it now, to be honest. Who's got a birthday coming up? You've really deflated me here. I was, I was excited about this recording. Well, we can, we can got, still make it up. You've upset me now. Sorry, no, it was an excellent quiz. It's very tricky. Thank you. Well, maybe I won't do them anymore. <laughs> you got to, you got to speak up. Oh yeah, that reminds me. Oh yeah, sorry everybody. People, I don't, we had, listen, I'm relaxing. We had some people on our Facebook group today, and uh, not today, <laughs> earlier this week. Thank you very very much. 
for saying that the podcast is coming out really quietly. And I we never listen to it on the speaker. People are saying that when they're playing it on their speakers, phone. it's coming out really quietly. I, I had no idea. It's fine on the laptop. Yes, yeah, but you say it's fine for you on the head. It, is it, let us know. Is anyone else finding that? I've, I've tried to have a few fiddling abouts with the settings for today. I, I don't know whether it's made much of a difference. I think we might need to save our pennies and buy another microphone, maybe. See, proper podcasters like the Sofa Cinema Club crew, they have a microphone <laughs> each. free. They sit around That's a big like table. That's like an extra one than we would have to get. We, we sit on a sofa and yeah, we we're just... we're the sofa cinema club. Yeah. We just only watch one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we've got a little board in front of us with a laptop and a microphone balanced on it. And it's I do put it towards closer to Gemma and angle Michael... towards Gemma because I have a big booming teacher voice Michael's and she has a delicate lady voice, voice. And I don't actually talk to anybody all day long. Yeah. So I don't practice but even speaking. Though, but people have said that you're always quiet. It's and, I'm relaxing. and often I'm quiet as well. So I don't know. I, I, I hope this is better. Um, Please let, let us know. know your volume. We will have to buy another. If there's anybody out there listening that like knows about audio stuff, I You've think said this a few times, and you don't listen to what people say, so it doesn't. Really if if there are any quick and easy solutions, there aren't any. It's buy anything. So <laughs> then let us know because I, I want it to sound good. But you know, we we've been going eleven years, so we're not apologize. the most professional of podcasting outfits. I do apologise for not noticing this. I listen to it on my headphones, and the difference is not noticeable to me. So thank you for everybody who said that on a speaker it sounds different. Because we'll, it really does sound different, we'll, we'll, I guess. We'll try working on it. Oh, I'll try to speak louder if that helps. There we go, that's it. Anyway, who birthdays. Birthdays. Who's saying a loud birthday to? Oh, yay, oh, yay. On the 12th of September this year, producer Steve Frost was born. On the 13th of September, <laughs> director Alan Bromley... And Eric Potts, who played Diggory Compton, were burst into this realm. Additionally, <laughs> this is good. on the 14th of September, this. Frank Pemberton, who played Frank Barlow, Amanda Barry, who played Alma Halliwell, and director Bob Hurd were all brought by the stork in this world. And on the 15th of September, a stork arrived carrying Vicky Entwistle, who played Janice Battersby, and Ashley Middleton, who was Sophie Webster I. Thus ends the proclamation of birth dates for this week. Oh, very good ad living. That was good. Tell us to slap at herself. That was good. Nice bit of ad lib. I can do that every firing. week. <laughs> Just Lorraine and stop me. You've got to do it throughout the whole podcast, though, you see. Shall we move on to street talk? Yes, we shall. We're going to record this bit later because we haven't seen it yet. But anyway, that's right. I can, very do, street I can talk, talk about out, it um, even if I haven't enough. seen it. Anyway, over to street talk oh. to, to future Michael and Gemma. Okay then, on to Street Talk. It's, it's later now, isn't it? It's now 20 past 10. We just watched tonight's Coronation Street and um, I, I think this is just going to have to be a, a fairly quick rundown of everything that happened, happened in this week's Coronation Street. Because it's a school night. We're, I'm determined to get this out. We're going to get this out today for everyone to listen to. Um, so, Gemma, we have got seven stories, some of them very short. Um, and we're going to start off with the Cassie Come Home storyline. Loads of good stuff with those characters in this week. And then after that, Gemma, you, you gave me the inspiration for this one. Sabrina and... The teenage bitch. 
Ah, uh, I said if if somebody doesn't call her teenage Sabrina the teenage bitch, then what was the well, point? Sabrina's the lovely, but Lauren, I still don't, I still don't trust her as much as they're trying to make us um, warm to her. But yeah, Sabrina the teenage bitch is next. Then we've got the Ronnie and Cher storyline. <laughs> um, I could, I originally had the Henry stuff mixed up with the Ronnie story, but it's not really related, is it? But then I didn't have time to come up with a decent storyline title for the Henry, so I've just written down here hashtag Bring Back Henry for Good. Because as much as we loved seeing him over the past month, we want more. Papa Dom had a few scenes this week. Um, so did Courting Miss Courtney. That storyline's back off its month-long hiatus. And there's a little bit of Reed and the Redhead revisited as well. Um, any preference, Gemma? Do you want to do the Cassie stuff? Or do you want okay. me to use your What's going on down at number nine this week? So, on Monday, sad times. Back to school. Yeah, back to school. The girls are going back to school. Joyous. And Evelyn and Cassie and Tyrone walk them down the road. And Evelyn and Cassie decide that they're going to put their differences aside to arrange something nice for Ruby, Ruby's birthday party. They're really... They are kind of trying at the beginning of they're, the week, aren't they? No. Again. Well, again. Evelyn... Eve, this is what I think. Evelyn's suspending her disbelief in order to lure Cassie into making a tactical error that will reveal herself to Tyrone. And... Cassie is hoping that she can bamboozle Tyrone long enough to make Evelyn into the villain. And I absolutely love the dynamic of this. Yeah, it's it's really working for me as well. This relationship. I know that there are... I've seen quite a few people criticising this and saying it's boring or they don't like Cassie or Evelyn's being unfair. But I really honestly think that this is one of the most true depictions of addiction I've seen on on the show. We've definitely seen stuff with... um, Peter. Peter, and I just feel like... What about Ed and his gambling? I know, but I really think that in this situation, I think people are being tricked into thinking that Cassie is being reasonable, and I I just think that she's not. I think that she's... But no. it's understandable, and I, I don't I don't want to feel like I'm demonising people with addiction issues. It's, it's working for me, because so sometimes when think... she does, does nice things, I go, oh... Okay, perhaps she does mean it. She's protecting herself. And, and I, I, I've been doing my notes for the podcast. I don't always have my eyes on the screen, but I don't think there's been any like sneaky grins to the camera well, that she's I've missed. But she's, she's playing Tyrone, isn't she? She's she playing really Tyrone is. and she is doing it because she is in the thralls of addiction. And Evelyn is being made out to be the bad guy. And I, I don't know how long this has been in the works for the character of Evelyn, but what a fantastic way to use... Maureen Lipman, you know, there are so many comparisons with her and um, Blanche mm. and um, other battle axes and Ina Sharples, etc. It kind of reminds me, it's reminiscent in a way of of the way that Ina Sharples, when she had a daughter who was dying of a tumour. Oh yeah, Vera. And she, it's not the same, but, you know, she took on this role where you know, uh, Ina Sharples, her daughter, she, did, she didn't know she was dying of a brain tumour and Ina decided not to let her know and kind of let her decline and pass away under her care. Evelyn is a similar character in that she's giving Cassie tough love. Mm. And she's kind of also leading Tyrone to make the mistakes that Evelyn herself has made with Cassie, trusting her and believing her when she says. Because I've said this time and time again on the show, Cassie believes herself too, to a certain extent. Well, you can tell that... We were skipping all over the place here, it doesn't really matter. You can tell that Cassie really is disgusted with herself. I mean, the scene, was she, it Wednesday's yeah. episode where she takes those drugs in, in the, in the uh, you know, around the back of Roy's and you, she's kicking the boxes. She doesn't want to be doing this, but 
She's the epitome she of a conflicted character where yeah. she, she sincerely wants two things that cannot happen simultaneously. Mm. She wants to take the drugs. She wants to just enjoy the ride. But she also wants a relationship and she doesn't want to be hooked on drugs. She, she, she doesn't... She seems to just want to get back at Evelyn for what she thinks is being abandoned. Yes, I, I honestly think that this is one of the most fascinating. They're both playing Tyrone off the other. That have, that has been in the show for a long time, and I mm. think that all the actors involved, and I give a special shout out to Maureen Lipman and Claire Sweeney for just really depicting this in a, such a dramatic and complicated way. And I just think anybody who's watching this who doesn't really get it, I think, uh, good for you because you don't know an addict. That's all I can say. Yeah, uh, it's it's I mean, performance wise. It's this particular storyline has really given some opportunities for some brilliant ones this I, week. I, I do think... Evelyn in tonight's was was yeah. fantastic when she was just so exasperated yeah. at Tyrone's bringing Cassie back home again. Uh, I, mean, I any chance to give Maureen a a, a ranty monologue? Like, perfect. She can deliver them so well. There, it's clear, I think it's going to trigger some people who've had personal experiences with this you know sure and you're gonna fall down on one side or another but tyrone is just being so naive but also it's completely understandable he's had nothing in his life even with jackie his mum i don't think he's had any any way to build up a defense against what cassie's doing to him but equally cassie is a victim too because she can't control this addiction. Mm. It's, I wonder it's if so there's any similarities to be drawn wonderful. with Kirsty because she was like saying that she loved him but was Yeah, him maybe that will be meanly. a key to him understanding yeah. um, what what is being and how he's being manipulated. Yeah. Anyway, Tyrone's got Cassie a, a job at the garage so he takes her to work. Abby hears about the party and he's like, she says, oh, Jack's birthday as well. <laughs> As you said, 55 again. Um, and so they, they said they're going to have a joint party. I loved I loved how at the party at the disco, Jack's there having a little dance. And then his inexplicably taller mate <laughs> yeah, comes along. He's like, like, you're not tall enough, Jack. I'm just going to tower over you. It's or... like the casting people like, people are, people are talking about Jack being too tall. We'll show them. We'll give him a friend who's also really tall, even taller. Even It'll taller. Make, it, make Jack look like a little shrimp. The sky <laughs> is literally the limit. So Dean shows up, the, the dealer, around the back of the garage, and he tells Cassie that she owes him 70 quid and he wants it back today, some of it at least. But when he leaves, it seems like Abby has seen him and she asks Cassie if she knows who Dean is. And Cassie's like, oh, I've never seen him in my life. So Abby phones up Dean and says, what are you doing around it? I don't want anything to do with you because she thinks he might be coming yeah. after her. Mm-hmm. And he says, nothing to do with you. And hangs up on her. Later on, Evelyn sees Tyrone in the cafe and she says, I don't, I don't really think I should go to this party. I don't really want to see Cassie because I think I'll have a row with her about all the all the things she's done wrong. Um, this is the thing about Evelyn too, is that she's insufferable because she thinks she's always right, but unfortunately she she kind of is. She's <laughs> Just what? like me. Oh, she's always right. <laughs> well, you know, she's Pretty. so she's so stuck in her ways and opinionated, but she's come to these opinions. These are hard-won opinions. Mm. That's what Tyrone doesn't understand. Evelyn hasn't come to this to just be an annoying battle at stick in the mud. She's 
come across these ideas based on years of hard one yeah, experience. Yeah, she's tried and tried and tried yeah. again with Cassie in the past and, and everything that she expects Cassie to do, yeah. she is doing. She's and completely just like, right in Tyrone's You know, Cassie. Tyrone probably thinks, well, maybe I'm different. Maybe this will be different. Maybe it's because it's my mum, etc., etc. It's heartbreaking to see him make the same mistakes even though Evelyn's warning him, oh, <laughs> this is just a great storyline, honestly. So they get talking about the fact that... Um, Evelyn wants to go back to, to live at number nine and Tyrone says that he misses her and she says, well, I'll come back and have tea with you and see how things go. Uh, Cassie decides to stay in the garage at lunchtime and tells Abby that she wants to prove herself to everybody and uh, she's some guy supposed to be picking up a car anyway so uh, she's going to stay, stick around. But Abby's very suspicious and when Abby returns to the office she finds Cassie with her hands in the petty cash tin and Cassie's like, don't say anything, don't tell anyone. And Abby says, look, I know about this and now I know about Dean. What have you bought off him? And she says, no, 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 I would never score on the same street my grandchildren live. And Evelyn and uh, Tyrone come back off lunch and Abby's got this little dilemma about whether she's going to spill the beans on what uh, Cassie's been up to. But she doesn't. Um, but she is going to, she does tell them that she and Cassie are going out to have lunch together. So back at number nine, Cassie tells her about Dean. And Abby says, you really got to try harder to get off the gear. But I'm not going to tell Tyrone for now. It so, wasn't it, it, was it in today's episode that somebody asked Abby if she's got a heroin, uh, not a, a hero, no, not that joke, complex. complex. Yeah, and yes, she does. Abby does have to save people. Well, and, and I love this. Is, this has this been the most Abby we've seen in a week forever. And that, go on. A fascinating character in this storyline because she knows she knows Cassie almost better than Cassie knows herself and she knows She knows what she's gonna do, she knows but all she the also, tricks. She also understands that Abby herself has come out of the other side and there's just one point where you need to believe you know, there's there's a point where there's a tipping point. Abby had it and she came back. But what is Cassie's tipping point? Mm. And if you keep denying that you believe her are you going to drive her away it's yeah. so it's such a delicate balance and and abby knows it almost better than anyone else does mm-hmm. so she's trying to be on uh, cassie's side to stop her from alienating her from everybody well abby's always been about family isn't it she her addiction was what led to her estrangement from seb and, and charlie and lexi and she doesn't want to see it happen again well to now she's starting over with alfie yeah she says, oh, look, I, I dropped the drugs and, and now I've got this beautiful yeah, boy. I know, but she dropped the drugs because of him. That's the trouble. Mm. But now Cassie's got her grandchildren. Yeah. Is that going to be enough? I, you cannot tell. You it, ca- couldn't, it, it, it could really literally seems be, to me... It, I was just going to say, it could literally be, you know, my child is born into this world and I will never take another drug again. Or it could be like, I saw a butterfly in a window and now I will never... Like, mm. you do not know what the trigger is going to be. It, it seems to me that when Cassie does give those girls a hug, she means it. It's genuine. I know, but, That's the, but seems well, the only how thing much of that is like a me. is a artifice to... I think Claire Sweeney's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, the, I think this story needed... A, a, a high caliber actor in this role it, it wouldn't work if it was just some you know somebody who's, who did a half job with it she's, and I know that Coronation Street brilliant. gets criticised for doing the same old stories over and over again but addiction really is 
something that affects lots of people's lives and um i think that this feels fresh to me because because i'm feeling as though i'm seeing it from the addict's point of view but she's a new character like when abby was going through it we sympathized and empathized with her because she was an established character whereas cassie's kind of on the fence a bit because you don't know whether to trust her or not mm. Yeah. Oh, really great. Anyway, it, so... it feels it it it's it's fresh enough, but I think that if this story had been playing out in a family that I wasn't as invested in, I, I don't think it I'd does enjoy depend it quite so on much. your your love of the of the yeah. what are they? The, the, the number nine clan, the, the Dobbs, number nine clan, the Dobbs State Plumber Sweeney's. Oh no, that's etc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah I, so but and. and People on some people online are saying it's it's too dark and it's too miserable and I, I do I do agree to some extent and sometimes too much misery I I, I don't I've well complained about it but um that there's enough that's making this particular story really grip me. This is just compelling human drama. Yeah. To me, so anyway, I, I um, just I just live for. Evelyn walking on the screen and hoping that she's going to deliver another great zinger or a put down or well, a she's not go so much in the and... in the market for zingers these days as she is desperately trying to to talk it's some she sense plays into desperation and so well, Cassie. doesn't she? You're right. You truly believe that she's at the end of her tether with with this girl. She's banging her head against the wall, but they all are. They're all trapped mm. in in such human prisons that they've built for themselves. I I I, I would like Fizz to be here. I, I don't know when she's. I'm happy back, that but... I, I'm. You know, I love Fizz. I think she's a great character. But the dynamic here, I think, would be a bit murkier if there was an extra character. It wouldn't work quite so well because the the reason that well, Tyrone's going back and forth, like, it, he can't decide for himself. And I think if Fizz was Fizz there, would, I she think would be Fizz guiding would him cut probably very neatly through to the you know to the bone of the issue, which is that you cannot trust. Cassie. Yeah, I think that especially after Evelyn sided with Fizz over the whole Alina affair, I yeah. think that she's earned herself some points and, she, there, and, and Fizz you know, would be definitely on, on her side. Fizz's strongest uh, motivation is to look after the girls and if you're Fizz, you're going to think, well Cassie's a new person, I don't trust her, she's a, she's a drug addict and this woman, Evelyn, who has always been there for me and the girls, mm. and is it, warning me, it, so I'm going to believe her. I think Fizz might also think back to Jade as well and how she let this unknown woman into her life and nearly had the, you know, nearly had hope taken off of them. And it's not that that's that, that Tyra that didn't affect Tyrone as well, but I think as a mother and as as the mother of the girl who was being whisked away by Jade, that would certainly have put Fizz... Be cautious. Yeah, yeah, on edge. So, anyway, things get calmer later and Abby and Cassie are having a cuppa and Cassie asks Abby if she can borrow some money. And she says, look, um, I I swear I'll give it back, I'll give it... This is the money to pay back Dean, isn't it? Yeah, so Abby says, look, let's get rid of Dean for good. So... Cassie, Abby and Dean meet up and Abby tells Dean he needs to leave Cassie alone and he says, well, I don't really care about that, I want my money. And if I don't get the more money, I'm going to um, go he, to... Um, if, he, she, she, says, she says that if he doesn't bug off, she's going to give his name to the police. It's a, it's a fairly tame threat, but... It I, works somehow when Dean goes away. I can't remember, and I should have checked this before, but I, I think possibly before when Dean was in it last year, I don't know whether he was actually a drug dealer then or whether he was just a fellow drug well, addict. Well, he brought so drugs to Abby. 
Yeah, but I think maybe he's newish to the to the realm of drug dealership. Well, so maybe that's enough to put the frighteners on him. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Cassie thanks Abby for saving her from Dean, and Abby tells her that you, she needs to be upfront with Tyrone about how difficult it is. And Cassie says that I will do when I'm clean. And this is something that is also a very human thing, where you think you can only do something if you're perfect. Like, ah. Uh, uh, if I'm if I do like if I go the whole day or the whole week or the whole month and I don't take drugs or I don't drink or I don't eat donuts or whatever it is that you're finding you're struggling with you, you feel like you need to be perfect before you can admit that you've got a problem but that's not the way to get help you need to accept that you have an issue yeah and be open with your with your family and loved ones and Abby says look he will understand I promise you and Cassie says I'll tell him and the thing is that Tyrone's kind of been on the periphery of Abby's drug issue because he worked with Kevin but I don't think he truly understands I don't think anyone can really understand unless they've struggled with it themselves about what Cassie Abby etc you know Peter Carla um, Ed, everybody who's struggled with some kind of addiction on the show who's a current character. There's been a few of them. Yeah, exactly. So when Cassie gets home and she, she sort of broaches the issue that she's got something to talk to Tyrone about, but she gets interrupted, classic soap uh, gambit where she's about to say something and then she, Evelyn girls come home, the moment's gone and... Uh, Evelyn. I don't know whether they went down there. What did you want to say to me, ma'am? No, they didn't quite go there. But um, Evelyn is pr- kind of proud of Cassie that she worked really hard, and she she says uh, she's you're kind of looking to... like you know maybe maybe again she has this is a thing with with here. Evelyn where she's thinking is this factor X is this what has been missing is this what she needed? Well, Evelyn doesn't want to be estranged from from Cassie. She wants there to be happy families. She wants to but believe also... that Cassie will you know is is off the drugs and but she doesn't so she... want Tyrone to get hurt it's yeah. not she she kind of i guess she kind of thinks it's okay for me to gamble with my own feelings and i've made a boundary here that i'm not going to let Cassie cross but when it comes to Tyrone i can't i can't decide for him what his boundaries are mm. so if Cassie says i'm i'm on my, i'm on the road do i knock that and risk ruining Tyrone's relationship with Cassie forever based on my own prejudice or my own experience of Cassie. Has she really changed? Mm. This is why I love this story. Anyway, on Wednesday, the general morning stuff at number nine, Cassie's a bit shifty. Abby sees her later and says, have you had any more trouble with Dean? No, she says. And um, have you told Tyrone about it? No, she says. And Abby says, you need to, you need to soon because that will prove that you've moved on. Then we get the big test, don't we? Ruby's yes, expecting Ruby's to get party. her birthday gift, which is some boots. Tyrone hasn't got them. He He's not heard of online shopping. Apparently he can't get from Argos. And so he hasn't had time <laughs> to get a town to get them. And Cassie okay, says... He gives a few reasons, doesn't he? Cassie says, I'll go and get them. Give me the money. I've been clean for two months, which we know is not true, but Tyrone doesn't. Uh, I won't let you down. So he gives her the money. Then later on... Evelyn finds Tyrone in the pub and he tells her that he's given Cassie money to go to buy these boots. And Evelyn's like, you're never going to see those boots and you're never going to see those that money. You phone Cassie up and see where she is. And he says, no, I'm not going to because she'll think I don't trust her. And Evelyn says, um, 
Evelyn leaves and Tyrone then calls Cassie when she's gone. Because again, Tyrone doesn't want to her, his mum to lose face in Evelyn's, in the, you know, in the face of Evelyn's cynicism. Mm. But he also <laughs> doesn't really trust her. Yeah. And so he gives her a ring and she's skulking in Kitchener Street, which is the dodgy alleyway I, in Coronation Street. It's not written yeah. in the set. I can't, what they, I can't remember what they call it on Coropedia. They've got a name for that road, haven't they? Like anonymous road or unnamed street that I can't remember but you know the one the one, you know where, the all one. The, the one where all the dodgy deals go on the one with the black alley is and all the bins so um, Dean walks over and sees her and it turns out she has bought some pills and we get this very emotional breakdown of uh, a really good scene with by Claire Sweeney as she's battling with her demons she's got these drugs in her hands she, she's ashamed of herself she wants to take them. She doesn't want to take them. She needs them. She doesn't need them. It's everything she wants. It's nothing that she wants. Really well directed and that scene as well. She I think it all ran a good one. Takes these drugs that she, you know, I guess part of us thinking, well, I've done it now. Can't take these to Boots and <laughs> what, what would it be? ASOS. No, where do you buy Boots from? I don't ask me. I don't you're, know. You're asking I, me about clothes shopping. Where do you buy boots from? She can't t- go in and take those to John Lewis and say, what can I get for these, please? <laughs> so she takes them. She, she's freaking out. She kicks a cardboard box. She's screaming. She's she's taken too many in the end. Because when the jobs arrive at the bistro, there's no sign of her. And the kids are bopping about and Jack's having a good time and Sam's pining after home. Oh, I love that and little interaction get... between Sam and Toya. We we managed to get, what, three three lines maybe from Toya this week with this one where Sam's after couples counselling from her because his um, broken relationship with Hope. I thought that was so cute. And then at the end of the scene, he's like, give me lemonade on the rocks. <laughs> I love I love Toya being Double his, lemonade on the rocks, that his is. His aunt. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. He kind of like waves over at Hope, doesn't doesn't he? But yeah, she's she's it's, still it's that kind of party. Still in the doghouse. Um. So Michael then puts his foot in it when he admits to Abby that he saw Cassie at the hospital when he was punched in the face by, by Dean. Dean, who's the drug dealer. And Tyra's like, "Who's Dean?" And Abby has to tell him who he is. And he also she also tells Tyrone that maybe, um. Cassie had her hands on some yeah, on the, cash on the in the garage. <laughs> and uh, then we get Jack going, I want to cut the cake. And Hope's like, I want to wait for Grandma Cassie. Where is she? And Tyrone's like, she'll be here soon. And goes to find... Because everyone's out. Oh, it's a birthday. Helium balloons. <laughs> oh, they've been inhaling, yeah. Yeah, so um, Tyrone goes to look. I heard that they were... Um, the government was planning on um, banning that laughing gas. Did you hear that? The stuff that the teenagers are all... Huffing, puffing on the streets at the moment. Wouldn't know anything about it. No. So, <laughs> sounded really suspicious. <laughs> uh, so, Hope follows Tyrone into the street where they just assume they're going to find her passed out, and they do. <laughs> just imagine the scene where where um, Cassie um, inflates the balloons with some kind of noxious gas, and we see her hiding away in the corner of the bistro, just go <laughs> sucking it in there. Mm-hmm. So they find Cassie right, passed out in the street and this was quite tragic because you've got Abby, Tyrone, you've got Hope and Cassie collapsed and 
Abby knows what to do because she's seen this before. She's been in this situation. She gets Tyrone to phone an ambulance and she sends Hope off to the medical centre to get a doctor. And who is it? It's Dr Gaddis. She only came because she was on her way back from work, though. She says, oh, my goodness. It looks like Cassie's taking drugs. Don't worry. I've got anti-drugs in my bag. <laughs> I, they said what it was. I it, can't remember. There is definitely it. a specific thing that you can you can have on you, and it is kind of almost a miracle cure for overdosing. Particular. Yeah. We've spoken about it on the podcast. You before. were. Um, well, this it, it, is kind of like an epipen, isn't it? You were you were quite um, appalled at how Doctor Gallas didn't even move Cassie's. She didn't. Gemini jacket out of the denim. way before giving her a. Well, she had these a denim things do jacket. go through jeans. They but... do, but she had a pair of jeans on and a denim jacket, and Doctor Gallas was like, "I'm going to show you how sharp this needle really is." <laughs> we go through my hand and the denim jacket and the jeans right into her ass, right into the floor. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, she she administers the antidote, and Tyrone is just kind of completely transfixed by this because he's never really seen no, this, this is... up up close. This mm. is serious. This is kind of, this is everything coming home to roost. And Abby says, you know, Hope's there too. And he, he says, she says, take the kid home. Tyrone can be a bit useless in these situations. It reminded me a little bit of um, the scene in the vet and Cerberus and him kind of staring for a bit and then Do you think bottling? this is all yeah. just building up to the main story of the year, which is Tyrone has a needle... Um, phobia. Could be. Could be. So, that's an idea, writers, if you want to write that in. Abby goes back to number nine and tells everyone that Cassie's in the hospital. She's going to be fine. But Tyrone is just gutted about this. And um, Everything that Evelyn had been telling him about his mum and he's been in denial about. This, this... Turns out to be true. Yeah. Um, and, and she says to him, you've got to also look after Hope because this is going to really traumatise her. You know, Hope's... Hope's already traumatised, I think. It might bring around the other side, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nick tells Eve... She's not been setting many fires recently, has she? Maybe she's set Dean on fire. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's going to find where Dean lives. Arsen it up. At the party, Nick tells Evelyn that he's found out that Cassie's going to hospital because of an overdose. And Evelyn is like, yep, yeah, typical, roll my eyes. She heads off. She makes her excuses to, to Ruby. Poor Ruby. Like, is there any family left at her birthday party at this point? No. It's basically she's just um, got in the way of Jack's at this uh She's gate-crushing she? Jack's yeah. party. I, I imagine that Jack's not thrilled to be sharing the birthday party with Ruby as it is, though, to be honest. So. Not particularly. I'm sure he's not too, too disappointed about this. Cassie wakes up in the hospital. She tries to get out of bed. And a nurse is like, you cannot leave. You'll need medical treatment. And she says, I'm going. So, um, meanwhile, Evelyn goes back to number nine, sees Tyrone. He's fuming about this situation and his mum. Evelyn says, you've got to tell Hope about the truth about his grandma, the fact she's an addict. And Evelyn gets told by Tyrone that she was right all along about Cassie. And Evelyn says, that I'm sorry that you had to find out this way. You know, she doesn't take pleasure in the fact that she was right. This makes her a better person than I am. <laughs> Cassie phones Tyrone and he doesn't know whether she he should answer. But in the end, Cassie comes home and um, she she kind of tries to play it off a little bit, but she ends up slouching on the sofa and shrieking at Evelyn and Tyrone's telling yeah, there's her. There's been that... so many so many scenes like it starts off they're trying to be civil with each other and, and very quickly turns into a slanging match, doesn't it, between them. They've got so so much so many pent up negative feelings about each other. Tyrone tells her she's a disgrace. She used birthdays, Ruby's birthday money for drugs. 
I mean, she's going to grow out of boots. <laughs> Cassie tries to apologise and Evelyn tells her to sling a rook. And Evelyn tells Tyrone that she's staying there with them and the only person to help Cassie is Cassie. And Cassie goes upstairs, gets her stuff, comes back down, says, I'm, I'm going. Tyrone says, wait, wait. And Cassie says, oh, don't get upset over me. I've got no one to blame but myself. And he says, look, I still want you to work at the garage. And Evelyn's just sitting there going, this, is this not enough? Is it, you know, when is the limit? What's your limit? This was a brilliant Maureen Littman moment in the week. The, the look on her face where she's like, I can't believe that after everything that Tyrone has seen today, she's thought that she triumphed, didn't she? She thought that finally... Well, no, Ty's eye, Well, no, she, she just, thought that Tyrone's eyes would finally be open to the truth, but he's just going back she to her, this woman who's just going to let him down again and again and again. And well, the, it's not the, just that. He, she's thinking you're enabling her. She's not hit rock bottom. Maybe that's what Evelyn's waiting for. Well, but she thought today was it. No, but it wasn't because she's still getting support. Mm. You know? Yeah. So, Hope comes downstairs and wants to know where Cassie is and Tyrone tries to soften it, but she says, I know she's on drugs and will she get better? Will, they get, will she get off the drugs? And they can only say that they hope so. And Cassie's sort of lurking around at the flat when there's a knock at the door and... She opens it, Cassie does, and it's Abby there. And Abby says, Tyrone's asked me to live, to move in here to keep an eye on you. It's not going to be forever, but, you know, I'm, I will do my best. And I was really excited about this, but this didn't really even last No, I thought it'd be kind of like, you know, the, the, the flat, flat living adventures of Abby and Cassie and all the little scrapes they'd be getting into. We saw a few scenes, but... It's, it, we find out on Friday that Cassie's not particularly thrilled with the, her new housemate, is she? And uh... Well, on Friday, she's she's having withdrawal symptoms, Cassie is. She's on the sofa, she's shivering, she feels sick, and Abby's being all nonchalant, like, I found some mango chutney, do you think you can have it on toast? And Cassie's like, no, I don't want you here, I don't want mango chutney on toast. And Abby says, well, I've got to be here and I'm going to support group later on. Do you want to come with me? So, not quite the hilarious shenanigans no. of the alcohol support group. But anyway, we get to see that later on. But before that, over in number nine, Tyrone is a bit tetchy because he's there with um, Evelyn. And, he and he's like, pie oh, pot pie's been eaten. Oh, come. Blah, blah, blah. But he's obviously taking this out on the fact that he's mad at Cassie for letting him down. And he goes to work early and he says that um, he's going to go to the flat to see to see Cassie first. And Evelyn says, you know, she might already be on the drugs by now, just to let you know. So Tyrone comes looking for Cassie, but she's not there. Only Abby is. But well, Abby comes in. She's just popped out, hasn't she? she they, they start talking about her, about yeah. the fact that they don't really think that she's going to be able to stay clean. Yeah, but she overhears, Cassie overhears this because this, you know, as we said before, this flat's got a handy double entrance and uh, she, she's lurking, she overhears, she comes in, she doesn't let on that she's heard them saying that they don't believe in her and she apologises for yesterday and she says, I'm going to go to the support group with Abby and I want you to come too, Tyrone. So they all go to the community centre, Cassie, Abby, Tyrone, for this drug support group. Yeah, unfortunately, didn't again didn't quite lead to um, AA meeting style. No, it wasn't really that kind of thing, but it kind of tried to give. (laughs) They tried to do it with Tyrone's Battenberg cake. Tried to give you a bit more of an insight about what addiction is, and Abby gives a little speech about, you know, this, uh, 
this craving you have for, for whatever you're addicted to is a bit like having an ex, you know, is bad for you and you're hoping that they text you or you text them and, um, you know, if it's difficult and you kind of feel yourself being tempted. Yeah, so that niggling feeling of the drugs. And Cassie, Cassie agrees and she says, yeah, I was out with my ex yesterday even though I knew he's not, he's not right for me and I've been clean for so long, which again, another lie. I'm scared of being rejected by my family because that's what my mum did. And this is where she starts to build this weird... I guess it's... I, I don't believe her, but maybe this is it, supposed to be a bit more ambiguous. Yeah, it doesn't align with... Quite with the story that we've been led to believe before, did it? Because we found out that... Well, Ka- this is Cassie telling her backstory about yeah, Ka- what the, happened to the her. The backstory that we had been led to believe before was that Cassie got on drugs. The, the, the trauma of that possibly... Um, caused her dad to have a brain hemorrhage. Does it well? I don't know. But in any case, Evelyn blamed Cassie for her, her for her husband's death. So Cassie then goes off to um, to goes goes away in to Liverpool in hiding, and this is when she have, is found with her baby. But the story that Cassie seems to be spinning here is that she was perfectly normal girl and and just just you know, nothing wrong with her until Evelyn kicked her out and that's what forced her to go on the drugs, wasn't it? That's what I took away from it. Maybe well, yeah, I, she's saying maybe I misunderstood that it. She, she was an addict because she was homeless. Yeah, and it was her homelessness do... that caused her to go to... But then maybe she was just talking about this this sex work that she was... Um, it, it doesn't particularly matter, but Cassie's... Yeah, I, I, I don't particularly believe her at this point. I think she's spinning a yarn. She's trying to make... Um, build bridges... Um, build a barrier between Tyrone and Evelyn. She's mm. trying to blame Evelyn for her estrangement and um, being rejected. And she says she did a lot of things she was ashamed of because she was rejected by her mum. And she feels alone and Tyrone's like, oh, you're not alone anymore. And then they go back to the flat and Cassie tells... Tyrone I kind of wanted to ring his ears, but he's like... You said you did things you were ashamed of. What are they? What do you think it was? <laughs> what do you think it was? Buttering your toast both sides. <laughs> Wake up. She says, uh, you know, I. she says she calls herself a prostitute. And uh, she says it was for a short while. Tyrone asks if that's who his dad was, uh, you know, a client. And she says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what happened. But Tyrone's completely fuming. And he suddenly blames... Evelyn for everything that Cassie's gone through. So he storms out to try to confront her. They chase after him and Cassie's begging him, don't don't talk to Evelyn about it. I'm not ready to talk about it. Um, Tyrone and Abby get back to number nine. So so we're to believe here that Cassie doesn't want Tyrone to talk about it because she doesn't want Evelyn to tell Tyrone what a pack of lies this is? Yeah, that's what I got out of it. It's like she knows as soon as Tyrone tells her what... uh, what Cassie's latest tale is, that she'll say that's not Mm. what happened. She just wants to let it fester in Tyrone's mind and and turn him against her gran again. I don't know how much truth is in there. There might be a bit of truth in it. Well, there there might be. But, you know, nobody... You you can make... I kind of like that it's ambiguous. Maybe maybe she did did get led down this dark path. I just don't know. I can't really 100% trust the word that comes out of her mouth. Tyrone and Abby get back to number nine and she says, um, look, don't tell Evelyn about this. Cassie's recovery is going to get set back. There's so much drama. She's kind of on a path now and anything could push her off. 
And Tyrone says, I think I'm going to ask her to live back with us. And Abby says, I don't think that's a good idea. But he doesn't listen because Tyrone knows better than everybody how to deal with an addict in recovery. It's a good job these Coronation Street characters can pack up all their worldly goods in just like a couple of boxes and a bag, isn't it? Because Cassie's been back and forth, back and forth. I know, but like, I think... Yeah, about yeah. five times over the past month. Later on, Cassie and Tyrone are back at the house and he's not told Evelyn this backstory that she's fed him and says he's going to do whatever he can to help her. And the girls come down, Cassie apologises, they all forgive her, they hug. Evelyn comes back home and she cannot believe that, she, that Cassie's there again, moved in. Why is she? Why has he changed his mind? And she knows Cassie said something, and she can't work what, out what it is. And he says, "Don't worry about it," um, and he won't tell her. And she says, "Well, whatever it was, it was definitely a lie." And she says she's gonna she's gonna move out, and she goes and to to pack. And uh, when she says she's moving out, she's a bit blindsided by how readily Tyrone agrees that she should leave, mm. and. Um, yeah, the girls she, there are watching them all argue and they don't want to argue in front of them, but they obviously can't come to an agreement. And yeah, again, I feel like we're back where we were not that been, long yeah, ago. There's an awful lot of drama this week, but they do seem to be back where they started. I mean, the, the big change really this week has been the fact that Tyrone has seen just how low his mum can sink and what addiction actually looks like. But yeah, if anything, we've it's seen, made him want to protect her even more. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen Cassie overdose. We've seen Tyrone confronted with what that means and we've also seen maybe Cassie lying maybe Cassie telling him what life was really like for her I'm gonna guess there's a bit of a somewhere in between Hmm. but again you know if you're if you're Evelyn and you are you have limited resources you don't really understand mental health you don't understand addiction your husband's dead your, your daughter's addicted and you have no way to help her I don't know what you would do. Would you kick her out? Is it your fault if you do? Can This is kind of like the Max Grooming storyline. How much are you responsible for somebody else's choices in life? Mm. If you... I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's good to see you talk to though. It was good to see you talk to Something we haven't mentioned yet that I appreciated this week is uh, we got an explanation for, for Cassie's inexplicably white teeth, didn't we? <laughs> she said she had to pay a lot of money for them. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of people might have mentioned online. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, I'm glad that they... I don't think they need to, to address it, but... I think it's funny that they it's did. Kind of, I think it's kind of funny. Yeah. There, uh, there was also the scene earlier in the, the week, it's kind of a bit vague in my head now, when they've ordered some like, lemonades or something at the pub and then characters are just dropping to go and get Cassie's. I can't remember what, which one was it do you know the scene I mean and Jenny's left having this these glasses of oh, three, yeah, three lemonade on the tray fizzy. yeah what was it fizzy something I thought, I thought it was lemonade it wasn't lemonade was, I don't know anyway, fizzy orange I don't remember much about that scene but I did find it funny at the time yeah they were like <laughs> cancel the hot pot Jen and she's like <laughs> yeah uh, uh, I, I still haven't decided whether Cassie's going to get her redemption at the end of this this is feeling similar to the Lauren story in a way to me, that they're both clearly wrong in a way. They have both had tragic lives. They're both got them right for, for the old Coronation Street Becky Grangerisation, aren't they? To, to turn them into um, respectable members of the street. But I, I don't know whether I can fully believe any of them. So it's it's a little bit of a shame that the stories are both going on concurrently. But you know, maybe 
maybe that's they're doing that on purpose and, and one of them will turn out to be a wrong end and one of them will turn out to be a, a goodie. Well, I mean, as far as Cassie's chances go for redemption, I, I'm not feeling it for her really because we've had so many positive outcomes for addiction on the show. Mm. But they've come at quite a long, lengthy, protracted investment. Abby, Peter, etc., are we invested in Cassie? Do we need to see this? Do is the is there a value, you know, for Coronation Street to say it doesn't always work out? We've seen, but we've seen Peter fall off the wagon so many times. Mm. Is it, it yeah, fair it to have a... Cassie come come in and say, "Oh yeah, I have one overdose." I don't, I don't know. And at the end of the story, if Tyrone ends up, you know, slinging her off and saying, I never want to see you again. Does that make Tyrone look bad? Because he's given up on his mum, despite how badly yeah, she's treated him. Yeah, but does that bring her, him closer to Evelyn, where she can say, you now understand what I've gone through. You had a small taster. I've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, interesting I don't ever out. blame anybody in any of these situations, whether it's the the addict or the... Or the family member. It's an incredibly difficult situation to be in. I don't know how you would, what you, what do you do? Mm. You can try. It's like you can try a thousand times yeah. to try to help somebody to overcome an addiction, mm. and maybe it'll be a thousand and one is the time that, but maybe you don't have it in you. Mm. You you tried to cure me on my Coronation Street addiction for so many years, haven't you? What episode are we on now? Ten thousand and what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, right, shall we move on? Let's. That, that was, yeah, really great story this week. I enjoyed that quite a lot. Um, I also actually was pleasantly surprised by how much I'm still hanging on to this Sabrina the Teenage Witch story. Um, partly because we got to see more of Gab and Sabrina, who are a, a brilliant sort of brother sister duo that. I saw somebody online said, does does Gav just live in that park? Because it seems to be the only place that he's been so far. I wish I had a swing set near me. I could sit on. Hey, well, if I'd like to see them try and cast somebody to be Gav's even taller friend, because I don't think such a person exists. He's pretty massive, that guy, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, so, Max, on Monday morning, is texting away on the sofa, and David's saying, oh, I'm so proud of you, you're going back to... or not going back to college, you're going to college, this is the start of the next stage in your education, and Max says, well, I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm texting Sabrina. Um, things are back on with her. So, he goes into the cafe, we're reminded that Lauren is doing her table-cleaning duty there, she's also been living at the salon, it's been a little while since we've had all that happen so you might be forgiven to We've not for actually forgetting. seen her bedding down in the salon at night we just saw her yeah well i i kind of the, at one point I this forgot. week i was um convinced that they only had a tiny portion of the salon set um even erected because especially the scene at the end of wednesday's episode she comes in through the door and you see that t- a tiny tiny corner but apparently not because friday you see the the whole thing anyway um lauren seems happy enough working for Roy and uh, he's obviously forgiven her after the whole um, come to bed Roy episode. Um, He's decided, has Max, by the end of the day that he wants to bin off college. He only really wanted to do media anyway and the course all seems to be a load of boring theory. I was talking to you about this, wasn't I? Yeah, and then they actually did bring it up on the episode. Well, no, he he says on Friday, oh, what am I supposed to do? Send my my CV off to, um, I can't remember who he said, Christopher Nolan. He's not, not, he's only going to be impressed with some of the stuff I pre produced. No, I don't think he meant that. I think he meant like, well, I'm just a a lad from 
you know, the back streets of a northern oh, town. Did you? I thought he was but saying, I've got a I bit of a black mark before, against my name. Like, he's got no future in media unless he specifically addresses this head on. Like, there's definitely a market for somebody to say, I'm a... I'm a reformed white supremacist and here's where I went wrong and this is why I think it's important to reach out to the youth, etc, etc. But you can't just like blindly go in going, I'm going to do a Fanta advert and then, mm. you know, they, they win an award for the best new advert and then he collects his award and then the Daily Mail finds out. This is why you got to be very careful about what you put online. It can come back and bite you in I'm the bum. I'm just going to say this is why you create your CV very carefully. Yeah, well, it's it reminds me a little bit of... Um, the whole Chris Fountains thing, when like, he was a you know, Coronation Street star, he'd been in other things, hadn't he? And then this thing that he'd put online years ago, where he'd been rapping about some rather unsavoury things, it, like he said, I'm, I'm not like that anymore, that was a mistake. And, and well, it's, it's tough. That's what... This is what you've look, got what to be you've done. about it. You can't hide it, because people will find out. Yeah. So... But it's not, I don't... I think, it's un, I think it's unfair, but I also am in a position where I'm not really... I wasn't a victim. wasn't victimized by the sort of thing that that he did. So it's not up to me to forgive him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um, he says he's just going to do an apprenticeship or something. Anyway, so we get a scene at the end of oh, the yeah, episode. Oh yeah, just do an apprenticeship. Yeah, exactly. Max, Sabrina, um, Gav in the precinct, and but um, Gav's kind of teasing him a little bit because. Um, I'd kind of forgotten the relationship status of Max and Sabrina at this point. I thought that they were already going out, but apparently not. Uh, and, and Gav's kind of teasing him a little bit, saying that so get on with it and obviously bang. you are sweet on her. So Wednesday's episode, and uh, Shona's still trying to persuade Max to, to go into the cafe. But um, what was this about? I don't even remember. Was it that he was he was supposed to be doing some... Some some work experience there or something? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, um, Lauren's there, though. She turns up late for her shift. No. Oh, no. no that's not right. My note's wrong here. Shona's trying to persuade Max to go to college. That makes more sense, doesn't it? Not the cafe. They're in the cafe when this happening. Lauren turns up at the shift, and um, as soon as Shona um, gets out of the picture, she starts chatting to Max and says, Oh, yeah, it was nice chatting to you when you came in yesterday. Can we meet up later? She's clearly still got the hots for him a little bit. But he says to her, oh, No, I'm in college all day. Um, because he well, he's not going to college, but he maybe doesn't want her to know that she's going to be hanging around Sabrina. Well, he, he's off to the Sabrina and yeah. he doesn't want her to He knows that she's a, yeah, she's, that, that's kind of a bit of a touchy subject with her. Is this is you know he Lauren really likes Max but Max wants to help her without her getting emotional about it mm. but he also fancies Sabrina yeah yeah well, we know that he wants to spend time with Sabrina that day so he puts Lauren off yeah and 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 we get another scene of Gav feeling like a little bit of a third wheel around well, them. Lauren <laughs> Lauren finds Max he, she follows with them and she sees them yeah, she flirting. Skulks. And I don't know, I'm interested to know how much of this is Lauren just upset that her crush is with her rival and how much of it is racially motivated because I still can't really believe that Lauren has... I don't know. That, I get fed up with people saying... It doesn't feel like that's a thing anymore. I know, but I get fed up with people giving such a, a, an easy pass to these characters... For their if we're to believe, racist background. If we're to believe that Max has repented, then sure, we should, we should really, give though. the same courtesy to, to Lauren. But Lauren, I've, I've seen people arguing that it wasn't her fault. She was groomed. She was raised by a racist father. She hung around racist people. 
and it's not her fault, etc. But that doesn't really make any difference to what her attitude is now. And you don't just, it's not like a, a spell where you click your fingers and suddenly, because somebody went to prison for making a racist video, mm. you realise it was all a bunch of rubbish. How can she not have some belief there where she feels entitled to Max's romantic interest in, in a greater way than she thinks Sabrina is? Because, you know, Lauren really is the perfect you know, right wing, Aryan, blonde, blue, you know, uh, white yeah, skinned. Yeah. But but the fact that Sabrina is obviously so much better than she is. She's funny, she's nice, she's good looking. And Lauren with all of her, you know, amazing superior attributes, which is literally just the colour of her skin, can't still bag a man. I wonder whether this storyline's going to go down the route where Max is properly torn between the two of them and then maybe in the end, Lauren kind of the, slips up and launches into this racist rant or, or says just... something about Sabrina that exposes her to be uh, still have those those right-wing beliefs and Max is like, right. I've I'm just really surprised at how willing people are to give white supremacists such an easy pass considering... <laughs> how many other people are just stigmatised for much lesser crimes. I don't know whether it's... You know, like, look at Sarah Louise. She dropped her knickers for someone she wasn't married to. People will not show up about that, including you. They think she's the worst person in the world and she deserves the misery that comes away. Lauren, she was literally on the side of terrorists and her father, you know, her dad was making a bomb and her boyfriend was making videos about stamping out, literally calling people cockroaches. And, you know, six months down the line, we're supposed to be like, oh no, she's changed. She hasn't given any indication whatsoever that she has changed. And yes, she was a victim as well. But pfft, why are we so easy to forgive her when she has demonstrated nothing at all? I just, honestly, I just think that a lot of people are very easy to forgive racists because it doesn't affect them. I think it's more, it's not so much that. It's more that Coronation Street just does would rather, would they rather Coronation we forgot Street about it now? now it's perfectly capable of, of turning Lauren into a Joan of Arc character by making her... Um, completely renounce her former beliefs, but the way some people talk about her is like she never believed it in the first place. I don't, I don't think that's true for a second. How could you hang around with with um, Max, and how would you still have feelings for him, knowing that he went to prison for making videos like like he did? That would put me off him. At yeah. all, well, I don't. I really, honestly, I find it repugnant how how fast people are to to let Lauren off the hook. I, I just think oh, it's... Is racism so ingrained in society that we just think it's normal? I That's don't... not true. So why are we giving her a pass? I, I, I agree. I think it's just like a, a, an example of Coronation Street skipping from story to story quite quickly in the same way that we're saying the Ryan story doesn't know whether it's a story about scarring or, or, yeah, but or they steroids make... or, or whatever. And this is, is it a story about racism. It. Is it, a, is it a, a, a love triangle? Or, Maybe or, they're building up to Lauren doing something heroic and noble and redemptive but as it is i, I felt a bit more sorry for her in today's episode i have to say i can feel but, sorry for somebody but, but i still think that she's a repugnant racist i i, I don't I, i'm still seeing quite a lot of negative feeling towards lauren online i, I, I don't I've think i've seen people a lot of people are... being really really what's the word 
what people into her. People yeah, like, like her. oh, why are you being so mean? Oh, really? see, I've not seen much of that. I've seen lots of people saying, no, get Lauren off the show. We don't like I her. Don't but I haven't necessarily I seen them saying it's because she's a racist, but more she's just a bit of a bit of a moody cow. I'm I'm happy for anybody to redeem themselves, but she hasn't done it. I suppose Max has had more of those conversations. Even Max hasn't enough for me, but mm. well, that's another. Th- Thing for another time. <laughs> so anyway, um, Gav is just there in the park telling Max that he really needs to ask his sister out. You're clearly into each other. So Gav and Sabrina come into the cafe and are kind of taken aback a bit because Lauren's working there. She makes out that she's been kicked out of number eight after David caught her and Max at it. So this is this is Lauren's little scheme. She's trying to get Sabrina um, riled up and thinking that her and Max are inseparable. Making her jealous. Yeah, exactly. And she's like going, oh yeah, Max, he's so into me. Oh, he's so brilliant. And Garen and Sabrina are not impressed by this. The way they looked at each other at the end of that scene kind of made me think that they didn't really believe her. But, you know, the next scene we see Sabrina going and confronting Max at number eight and saying, what what the hell is this that I'm hearing from Lauren? And he's like, no, 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 it's none of it's true. But she doesn't believe him and storms out. So Max goes and finds Lauren there. And like, what's going on? Why are you lying about what me and you have been getting up to? And she, she she can't really come up with that much of a decent excuse um, off the cuff. And and he says, look, I don't want anything to do with you again. You're poison. I'm out of here. Lauren's left moping, moping and mopping in the cafe. So Nina asks Lauren, and this isn't something that we see a whole lot of development of. I wonder whether we will in the future. Nina's asked Lauren if she wants to come to the Rovers. She... She... She, she see I think she sees is it would it be fair to say that Nina sees the good in people she definitely she definitely sees the bad in people and she she doesn't suffer fools gladly and if somebody is being mistreated by someone else she'll certainly call them out on it but I think she is a little bit like Roy in a way that well if there's a good person in there somewhere she'll try and try and get it out and it feels like she's doing this to Lauren today and saying, well, come along to the Rovers. Roy and Nina have got a really secure position from which to redeem people and forgive them for whatever it is that they've done. Because, like I said before, same same as with you and I, Lauren and Max and the rest of them didn't really commit a crime against us as white people. We we weren't threatened as as people as you know as as people who have family who've lived in this country for generations. We're not being asked to to um, explain why we're allowed to consider ourselves to be British, etc. Nina and Roy have have got this position from where. They're, they're outsiders, but they're also accepted. And so they're not feeling threatened or undermined by, by whatever it is that Lauren or whatever Waif or Stray they're accepting has mm. done. Yeah. Um, they, they understand what it feels like to be ostracised. Mm-hmm. They, maybe they feel like um, they have a kindred spirit in her and um, they're also willing to give her space to redeem herself and and they've done it before yeah. especially Roy and Nina's sort of taking that character trait on and there's certainly nothing wrong with that I'm, I'm not saying that anybody shouldn't give Lauren the understanding if somebody wants to somebody wants to accept Lauren and Max and say that they are they've 
they should be forgiven, that's fine. But I think everybody should make that decision for themselves. Yeah. And Nina and Roy, they're kind of like the the moral focal point of Coronation Street, whereby if somebody is accepted by those characters, then you're supposed to think that they're a good person. Mm-hmm. Because almost, I can't think of a, a really many examples where, I guess with Trace, yeah, but Tracy, Roy never really trusted her. No. I'm just trying to think of an example whereby they've been duped by somebody and, or been taken advantage of. Yeah, but no, Roy think, definitely was very is with um, Nina and, wary of Tracy and Roy too, that is that because they've got such a secure position on the street, they can't really be rooked. You know, they can't, they're not going to lose out. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've no, got no, enough no. to get by, but they've not got enough to, for someone to steal or take, yeah, take nothing. them for a ride. Yeah. I don't really know what I'm saying, but... That's all right. Nina and Roy are interesting characters from that perspective, if if you understand what my brain is trying to tell me. (laughs) At quarter past 11 at night. Well, Gav um, corners Max in the precinct later, and we we get another scene of him kind of looming over this this quivering boy and saying, you led my sister on while you're off that bonking Lauren. And uh, the, the scene ends with, Matt, poor Max getting a bottle of lemonade poured all over his head. That, he, he can't catch a break, can Max? Can he? Last time he was getting water squirted at him outside Fresh Coast. Now he's getting a bottle of lemonade dumped on him. But Sabrina... Like, see, I got a bit confused at this bit. Because this is when Sabrina runs up and says, no, no, Lauren was lying. And I... I, I couldn't... I don't know whether I missed something. Because the last time that I thought we'd seen Sabrina was she was storming away from Max. But... She's worked what, what, it out. Whatever it is, she's 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 figured out by this point that Lauren's she's lying. Canny. She says she was just she was just winding him up, and Max says, "Yes, I don't want to be with Lauren. I want to be with you." So finally, Max is giving his big confession of his feelings towards Sabrina, um, and there's some nice little scenes at the end where they're kind of sitting there on the sofa getting all cosy at number eight and she she's trying to get a bit amorous with him but Shona comes back and smalls the mood somewhat. Not before they take a photo of themselves cosying up on the sofa. Yeah. Shona great again just Shona just finds it endearingly hilarious yeah it, it's just amusing to the extreme like it, it will never not get boring for Shona that Max, <laughs> that Max has got Max's a girlfriend girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I love she's that. kind of in the kitchen going oh, and Sabrina's like okay okay I'll take it as my cue to leave so, so what is what is Lauren see on Sabrina's Instagram the picture of her and Max <gasps> and so she trashes the salon because the she's flannel. so mad the flannel mm. Is that like a flat in a salon? Yeah. All in one? Yeah. I, I, that reminded me a little bit. I can't remember what it was that um, Becky trashed that one time. Was it Deb's flat maybe? Or I'm not sure. Or, or, or was it or was it her that sort of went, that stalked down the street with a sledgehammer maybe? Uh, in any case, it, it you know, there's all, people are already drawing comparisons between Lauren and uh, and Becky and maybe that was another one. I don't know. So um, on tonight's episode... Um, David isn't happy to hear that Max is going to Sabrina's again and not to college. And he's like, what, what's going on with your apprenticeship applications? What's happening? And he's, Max is like, oh, I don't know. It's go and, bloody late go and work that. at Roy's, I suppose. And it's Dave's like, no February. way. Uh, can... February? It's February. <laughs> did you know that? I, I did not know that. That's news. Um, he, David's like, well, look, you can, you can go to the salon. You come to the salon. If you can't be bothered to find a job, you can go and sweep up some hair. And I, I've, I'd lost track of who's working where, to be honest. Because later on when David and Maria find Max there, I'm thinking, oh, don't they work at Trim Up? Does anyone work at Trim Up North anymore? Doesn't Audrey work at the salon? The audacity for Coronation Street no to idea. have 
Maria and David turn up at the salon as though they'd been working there continuously without a break for the last 15 years was outstanding, to be quite frank with you. I literally was only saying the other day about the dynamic between Maria and David and how I really enjoyed it, but it was a shame you don't really get that anymore. And Coronation Street's like, no, 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 you just haven't seen it. They've been there the whole time. (laughs) I don't think so. And it was, just these few scenes in tonight's episode shows that that Samia and and Jack have have still got brilliant That thing where she says about well when when Max gets to the salon it's all trashed and everything and, and he finds Lauren they clean it up together she talks about how oh, I've got nobody I've got nothing again me, really defeatist me. yeah and 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 when they get go out afterwards Shona and David discover that not everything's been put back in the right place and Shona's finding this big brown stain on the wall and uh, she 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 says it like a dirty protest doesn't she and 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 David's reaction to that just is like laugh it was uh, brilliant brilliant stuff and uh, Maria sorry uh, says that I, I I loved it so yeah we're supposed to it, it, it worked to some extent in getting me to sympathise with Lauren, but I... I Again, I said this before about really people who are... And I can sympathise, because I'm not... I'm not saying when it comes to being defeated and feeling, feeling sorry for myself. Well, yeah, you, you criticise yourself all the time. Well, no, but um, a, a fictional characters who wallow in self-pity compared to... You know, you can compare, compare Sabrina and, and Lauren, okay... We don't know anything about Lauren's background. Um, well, Sabrina's, Sabrina's background. background yeah. We know that she didn't have anywhere to live and she broke into Gav's flat while he was in prison. We know that she's got a brother who's in prison. We don't know where her parents are. How is that? That's not incredibly dissimilar from Lauren's background where we don't know, you know, her dad's in prison. We don't know where her mum is. Yeah. Um, she, she's not got anywhere to live. She was homeless. Yeah, she had to break and, in somewhere to live, which is what Sabrina did. And even well, her brother's Sabrina, there just living on one of those estate flats. Which what's Sabrina you know. doing? Sabrina's going, okay, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to live where, where I am. I'm going to take what chances I can. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself and I'm going to make something out of this. And Lauren's going, oh no. Oh, another setback. Oh, help me, help me. Oh, no one can help me. I'm just going to be a sad, sad lady. She's gonna throw a tantrum you in know, the salon. You know, throwing things about and, and stuff. Mm. I, it, I get that. Um... It kind of feels symbolic of this, this kind of really pathetic white supremacist idea that everything should be handed to you because you were, you know, I was born here, my family was born here and I deserve everything. And, oh, you know, Sabrina, because she's black, she who knows how long her family's been living there, so I deserve everything and she doesn't, she shouldn't have anything, including a boyfriend. Mm. The, just comparing, I don't know if Coronation Street is doing on the, this on purpose, but the entitlement of Lauren and and her, her attitude of defeatism in the face of be, utter kindness and privilege compared to Sabrina is it's just really obvious. It just feels so... I feel like she just want to give her a bit of a slap and say, wait, wake up. What, what, the world doesn't owe you anything. Yeah. Just because just of the colour of your skin. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's on purpose. I'm not sure. Because I don't know how much we're supposed to really think Lauren's... A great person, and like I said before, yeah, I really like I, the actress. I, I think the actress is doing a brilliant job. But what's what is Lauren up to? What's the point of Lauren? Yeah, I mean, I don't find her as compelling a character as as Cassie, and there are definitely similarities to be drawn between the two there. But I, I, I do, I do wonder whether because Roy later accepts Lauren after what she did, he, he's 
Or has he just been taken in by... He does seem to... In, in the show's lore, he seems to have an ability to look beyond the surface into your very soul and work out if you're a good or a bad person. Because yeah. he's rejected and... lots of people and he's accepted lots of people. And the people he's accepted on the whole, and I can't think of many exceptions at all, if any... Have turned out, have to, turned be out to be diamonds in the rough. Exactly. So, so is Lauren... Is, is Lauren a misstep or... from, mm. from Roy or is she just waiting for redemption? And if the redemption does not involve her at least coming to terms with her racist past, then it's not redemption as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Um, Lauren ends up getting arrested for, for, for criminal damage. David and Maria adopt her into the police um, and then she gets a dishy duty solicitor that um, has a few... He exchanges a few glances with Dee Dee in the pub. Like, do you, are we finally are we getting a, a romance story for for Dee Dee? Do you think? What does she call him though? She's she, an old duffer. Oh right. An old duffer of a duty solicitor, and um, yeah, the the perfect recipe for the beginning of a perfect Cory romance. There. Oh, I thought he was somewhat uh, anonymous so far. He he seems to be in his first scene. He seemed very anonymous. Did what was it? Joel, I think. But clearly. Something's going to be happening there because he turns up at the pub and they're kind of giving each other the glad eyes. So I, I don't know, but oh, it's nice to see Dee Dee again, getting a bit of action for a change. I just feel bad for Joel that it wasn't Adam that turned up because that could have been a proper romance. What Dee Dee? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, just because Dee Dee turned up doesn't mean that Joel fancies her. It could fancy Adam instead. Yeah, that could have been a whole new start for Adam. <laughs> um, Yes, and so Lauren's out of, uh, out, of, out of the police station. Max is trying to find out where she's going to live, but she's fairly non-committal about it. Again? She's sort of somewhere. Oh, I don't know. <gasps> you, you don't need to know. Don't worry <gasps> about me. Maybe I could live in, an, in a palace if it wasn't for all these black people <laughs> stealing our jobs and our houses and sitting on our swings and putting lemonade in our hair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, I don't. I get that. I, get that. I, feel, I think I feel the same. Well, I don't know. Uh, anyway, Roy, Roy offers her a, a, a be, uh, the, the details of a, of a B&B and he's going to pay um, a couple of nights I reckon it's stay. the one what, um, what Ken stayed in I was in. thinking of that as well me too the one in Eccles <laughs> yeah. it's like no, a really nice place in Eccles <laughs> <laughs> they do breakfast as well mm. um, so at the end of the episode things seem to be back on for Sabrina and Max um, and after he's told her everything that's happened she says oh yeah go on then because he, he said look honestly I'm not interested in her romantically it's you that I want but he doesn't delete her from his phone at the end. I don't know why he should have deleted her off his phone. He, they, they're not, you know, they are kind of friends now, aren't they? But this, this seems to be, uh, yeah. Why he, hasn't Sabrina said to Max, "Why are you friends with the racist?" And why hasn't Sabrina said to 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 Lauren, like, "What's your problem?" Yeah, you know what I mean? I really want her to account for... I want Lauren to account for herself. And there'd be a proper cat fight between Not them. Not a cat fight. I just want her to be like, what is your problem? Do you have a problem with me? What's your problem? Mm. Just tell me to my face. Really what... You know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't... I couldn't... I couldn't be... I couldn't go out with somebody like Max, who was such um, an apologist for, for Lauren. Well, maybe he's got some other redeeming qualities. Like his excellent video editing skills. Maybe. She's trying to start a YouTube career. Maybe. Ask Ryan about that. He's probably doing pretty well at the moment. Um, Ronnie, right. So the shares storyline, Gemma. Are you ready to move on to Bailey's or anything else to add about Max and his... And his um... Said too much. 
Yeah. Already. On Monday, Ed's been up most of the night. Uh, he's worrying. Yeah, he's I, don't worried. Know, I thought he's, he had gambled, tempt- but he obviously hasn't yet. No. And Michael's saying, is everything all right? And he says, oh, I'm worried about this bid. Um, but he's still obviously thinking about gambling on horses, I, I completely etc. forgot by Monday's episode that they hadn't had their seal bid accepted. I kind of ended Friday's episode thinking, oh, everything's turned up, Trump's for the Baileys, but no, they still need to get <gasps> The Baileys still need are to the get Donald the Trump of Coronation <laughs> Street. No, I'll tell you who is. Who? Debbie. She's yeah. got the same hair colour and everything. She tells, uh, she's shocked because Ronnie's told her that he let it slip to Henry that he knew about the Waterford uh, deal. But she's she's like, it'll probably be fine as long as we can prove that he didn't know about the shares. Which they can't, nobody can really trace it back. No, I don't, Corrie, I don't think they might so. And also the fact life. that Henry is now lost, uh, sorry, left the programme. Yeah, it'd be he, different. He can't I don't, come in and... I don't know whether this is going to come back to bite them. It, I mean... All signs are pointing towards this is gonna bite Ed uh, Ronnie in the bum somehow. No, this is gonna it's but gonna now be Ed's it downfall seems... because of gambling, not because well, yeah, of insider it, trading. Yeah, it, it, it's it's going it's verging towards the the gambling story. But if if Ronnie gets away with his insider trading, that just feels like a little bit unsatisfying. Yeah, now. I know, but to me. Insider trading feels like a rule that was made up by rich people that they don't follow that poor people have to. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, at number three, Ed gets a call from the estate agent. Drum roll. They do a classic Corey fake out, but then they reveal to Debbie that their bid was successful, so they go for a celebratory drink this at the was, Rovers. This was the scene where they're kind of dancing out the door. and what did, Debbie walks into the door, doesn't she? I, I've written down what she said there. I, I don't know how whether... I'm sure this is an ad-lib, because she walks into the door and says, Oh, I'm so excited. I walked into the door. And it just seems like that Sue yeah, had a little bit of a uh, uh, an Elsie Tanner being bought by the camera moment, but but took it better. In the Rovers, they have champagne, but it's down in the dumps because because of Aggie. She's stressed. Apparently, she goes to work and just people line up to beat her in the face. Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't yeah. it? And he misses her. She's away. She's with Auntie Corona again. Yes, and. Uh, She's. He's thinking if I get this job, if this all pans out, maybe she can go part time. Yeah, this his. He he does love a bit of a gamble, but he's kind of justifying all of this to himself by saying it will mean that Aggie can. Well, Michael's not already be beaten up. Michael's already laid it on thick that the reason why he and Aggie work so darn hard is because they're terrified of being poor again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's a bit rude because, I mean. They're poor, like from their position, where they are at the moment, they're poor. Like, as far as they're concerned, compared to their previous lifestyle, Mm. they're living in poverty. But actually, the house is really nice and they have a really good life, and (laughs) they can go to the Rovers and the Bistro and and Speed Doll whenever they like. So, their example of being poor is actually, I quite like (laughs) to be like that. So, I think it's kind of funny how, how sad they are about the idea of being blasted back into Well, I mean, I, I the suppose ditch. the meet-up that they had with um, Yvette and her husband a couple of months ago kind of brought it all back in the life that they used to have. Imagine being they? a pay £100 for flip-flops. Yeah. So Ed heads home for the, from the bistro for an early night and Ronnie says that he's relieved that Ed's been cool about the shares because 
because we weren't sure about this, but it was all of the money that Ronnie gambled on the shares. And uh, so Ed gets a cut of this, uh, but he also could have um, shared in the downfall if it had mm. gone wrong. And he says, we need to trust each other, me and me and Ed. I'm going to put him on the business account and give him full access to all of the company oh, funds. What could go wrong? So on Wednesday... As, 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 I'm, I'm semi-enjoying this story and going, oh, you know. The, but it, it, it does feels feel a bit like, like people, it's like, what do you think's going to happen here then, everybody? It does feel a bit like Ronnie's just like driving really fast into a brick wall going, oh, I know the brakes didn't work last time, but this time it'll be fine. Yeah, it's... There's no reason to believe that the brakes won't work just because they (laughs) failed and I don't think they're connected. (laughs) So on Wednesday, Ronnie tells Ed the money from the shares are going to be, is going to be sent to them and he gives him the card to the business account and says, I want you, I trust you, I want you to start ordering things for the business. Uh, I'm never going to go behind your back again. And Ed's like, oh, money. And he goes on his, in his laptop and he starts boggling for an excavator and as he's doing it, a gambling pop-up appears and he's like, I don't know how we manage that because you know I don't think pop-ups are that much of a thing anymore, are they? I, think I do we've, think they've tar- all got good enough pop-up blockers. I think they target people. They target people looking for excavators. Michael, they really do target. I mean, I've not had gambling adverts. You've not had gambling adverts, but I've read like help threads, people saying that they cannot. They're always getting them. Mm, okay. Well, there we go. Targeted, ab- targeted advertising. I guess it is. So um, he's like, oh, I like that. And then Ronnie comes in and he's like, snap, snap the laptop closed. And Ronnie teases him. Oh, yeah, he reckons that he's, he makes out that he's been making, watching some um, naughty videos. Naughty videos, it? but it's even worse than that. Um, it's not Ryan at all. <laughs> that would be the shocker, wouldn't it? Out. I think it would work out better for everybody if it was that. <laughs> so um, Ed is um, also tempted later on by watching Bernie win big on the fruit machine. So he still doesn't seem to have uh, been t- tempted to actually do anything until Thursday. We still haven't got any, got anywhere with it. He's he's resisting, but this is yeah, the difficult bit, so isn't it? It's being we. It's invisible to you and I because we are not. We, gambling's not our problem. No. But if you really start to think about how often you get surrounded by gambling things, I think you might realise there's a lot more than mm. you would have imagined. Yeah. So on um, Thursday, one is like, oh, we've got the money. I've got the business money and we've also got our own shares. And um, are you sure you want me to give it to your personal account? Uh, yeah, my, he d- my Ed doesn't brother. want Aggie to find out. Well, about Eddie's, it, does he? Ed's saying, "Don't. I, I want you to give it to my private account so that Aggie doesn't find out that I've won. I've got this money from shares because she'll hit the roof if she finds out that this, this has happened. Mm. So we've got to hide it from her." Oh dear. Yeah, but clearly he's going to be able to well, be fritter it away possibly without perhaps. her even knowing that anything he's lost anything. Michael tells Ronnie he's got his nipper snapper money through today. He feels very hollow. It's all over. He's back to being Stephen's lackey. He doesn't know what to do with his cash. And Ronnie says, you've got to use it wisely and secure your future. So when they have a meet uh, a meet up in the pub later, he says, I'm going to invest it in in Ediron, uh, the, the, the building company. And Ronnie says, that's a good idea. Uh, but Ed's, Ed's a bit concerned about this. And he says, look, 
Michael saying, please let, let me invest. It's for it's for my baby's future and and I believe in you. We got to see a bit of glory this week. Was yeah, it, we today, did. it was today's episode, wasn't it? Or was it Wednesday? I can't remember. Sitting on the uh, sitting on the sofa looking cute. Just to remind us what it's all for. <laughs> so at the bar D D And who's gonna be suffering once Ed takes Michael's money and gambles it all away She's as well. She's gonna give up those Gucci grove suits or whatever they are <laughs> at, at the I hope she's, I'm hoping that she's getting just free nipper snapper gear otherwise what's the point <laughs> but but Michael refuses to wear it and so it doesn't make any sense <laughs> so at the bar DD meets up with this guy from the previous storyline about he was the um, oh yeah, 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 yeah she for... meets up with the, the the old duffer lawyer doesn't she and Glenda's Glenda's sensing a spark in the air mm. so there you go, yeah, go what will Ed do next gamble oh yeah. It, so it, this was definitely a bit of a B to C story of the week, wasn't it? I mean, it, definitely the stuff with with Max and um, and and number nine were what we was supposed to be holding our attention the most, and this was just a little drip feed of all oh, Ed's gambling and doing his gambling face, kind of. Oh. Yeah, like. Mm, yeah. I like but, gambling. It's no, okay. I can't. There, there's not been anything yet here that's kind of made me go, oh. I have to, Thrilling stuff, uh, unexpected, but I'm somewhat enjoying it, I suppose. But you know, what I uh, what I did enjoy this week, despite it seeing meaning the back of uh, Henry was um, all all of that stuff with him and Gemma. So um, Chesney and Bernie are talking about the the, the Newton and Ridley buyout at the beginning of Monday's episode, and he's worried that Gemma might lose her job with Henry. But Bernie's like, no, no, no things things will be fine. So this is where we see um, a couple of scenes with Henry and Gemma at the hotel. George's last scenes, George Banks's last scenes on the street for now, and um, he's he kind of luring her in and saying, oh, I've got a meeting there today, and um, he he, but oh no, my, the person I'm supposed to be meeting with is coming late. Oh, you know, maybe I can buy you a cocktail. And over an hour later and they still haven't turned up and Gemma starts to smell a bit of a rat and says, well, what's going on? What, you, you're not letting me call this person myself? And eventually Henry confesses that he's kind of been fired from the job. So Waterford wanted to demote him because he wanted more responsibility. He thought, he's kind of saying, well, you know, this is my family business. I know that it's not my family that own it anymore, but I still want to have some kind of level of importance. And Waterford's like, no way. All ended rather messily, basically. He's been given a, a rather large severance pa package, but that's it. He is no longer working for Newton and Ridley. There are no Newtons working at the brewery anymore. Sad times. Just feels sad. I, 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 I'm feeling... It feels a like a bit of a weird way to end the dynasty of a fairly significant behind-the-scenes characters. Yeah, and it, it, I guess it depends on are they going to keep on using the Newton and Ridley name for its you know, historical it's significance to the people of Weatherfield, or are we going to start seeing Waterford pop it's up like on beer mats? Name. I don't think calling your beer Waterford is a good idea. Well, the bit, the bit, why not? I mean, it's just... Because it's got water in it. Like it's water. <laughs> you know, it's such an obvious joke. Um, why would you... No, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so... I, I, I was... I, I was a little... Oh, no, I'll come back to it. Okay. So, um... So yeah. he, he's saying, yeah, I've, I've lost my job, sorry. And Gemma's absolutely fuming at him. So she's like, does that mean I'm not going to be your PR anymore? My PR lady. Have I, PA, I lost, not PA. PR. Sorry, PA lady. Have I lost my job too? 
what what are we anyway what are you doing here if you don't have a job you can't have a meeting with someone if you've got no one to meet with and he gives this this brilliant sort of guilty face i don't know whether you saw it it was kind of a oh, yes. sorry and um, he says oh Gemma, i love you i can't help it i can't bear to live without you and he starts getting down on one knee and quoting shakespeare at her and she's like get up you bloody mm-hmm. idiot and he said, and he he gives this really, and I think honestly heartfelt speech about this perfect life that they could have together if he leaves the kebab man <laughs> for her. And I I feel so bad for Henry at I this like, point. I like the insinuation is that he knows that Chester's probably not the right name, but he can't remember what the actual name is. And he also can't remember if it is Chester or not, so he just calls him the kebab man. Yeah. And, um, and and Gemma's response to this is to lead him on for a little while. I thought it could be quite cool, but it, it, that led to some brilliant um, little reactions from Henry, didn't it? He's like, there's this little celebratory kind of, way, and it's like, oh, I knew it, I knew it. And it, it was fantastic. And what what the main thing that I'd missed of Henry in, in this comeback from him was some of that, some of that silliness and and we got that in spades in this scene so i was uh, i was very very pleased even though it was his final scene that it felt like you know he can put on all the airs and graces he wants and shave his face and do all the maths right but at the end of the day he 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 is still that henry from he's 5 still years besotted. ago yeah 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 exactly and he's still besotted with her and everything so she's she leads him up the garden path and said nope because actually what really makes me happy um, is like waking up next to Chesney each day. She wants to say like, he, he may go to work dressed as a thunderbird and come back smelling of onions. <laughs> the amount of... <laughs> That's so funny. Everyone's just taking the rip the, uh, out of Chesney all the time in the scripts. He's like, the, uh, he's. Uh, I feel kind of bad for him in a way, but I don't because I agree with everything everyone's saying. But that was brilliant. And, um, and she says, well, I'm, I'm going to off and I'm never going to see you again Henry he, he's just ordered the champagne hasn't he at this point and done his little little champagne sort of movement towards the waitress but by the time she gets there with the bottles Gemma's already swans off and he's, and he's left with a bottle of champagne on his own sad times um, so Gemma <laughs> and that, that was the end of Henry worst things have happened um, so yeah it's, but it's the end of Henry it felt like you know want a bit more of a an, a moomphy woomphy but it I I was pleased. Did we? Did you enjoy the last scene at least? Yeah, as much as it was the last one. I I I wanted there to be a little bit more of that Henry in the comeback, but I've kind of made my peace with the fact that this wasn't a Henry story. It was a Rover story that it made sense for Henry to be in. We had to have the romance element with Gemma uh, there, but. Yeah, it, it it wasn't a story about Henry. He just happened to be in it. But I'd rather have that than no Henry coming back at all. And I definitely think I was I was talking with this um about George the other uh, talking, uh, to, talking to about, George about to George about, about this the other day. And I think mm-hmm. it definitely does leave the door open for a interesting reappearance. Well, yeah, because Henry where down is the he? Line. Where is he now? He's not got a job. He's not a Newton. Of the Newton and Ridley of fortune anymore. He's got a package. Yeah, he, he's but... been divorced. He's not. He, he might have been rejected from his social set when he got this divorce from Cressida. Well, I'm wondering how much of this severance package that he's um, gonna got is, is going to have to go to be spent on on alimony. But he definitely yeah. strikes me as the sort of person that probably is going to fritter it away quite yeah, quickly he's because he's never back. had to learn about the value of money. So I yeah. I think that 
you know, having a story in a few years' time, or, or less, when he's just a bit of a down and out on the streets and he has to, to slum it with the povos of Coronation Street just like everybody else. I think that, <laughs> that that's that's ripe for, for story. The Baileys will be like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you could, you could, you could. Welcome, um, welcome to rock bottom. Yeah. So I, I, I'd like to see him do that and then and have to become one of the people that he... Kind of, kind of looked down his nose at a little bit in the past. He'd already, you know, getting involved with Gemma and fancying Gemma had made him see, oh, you know, the, the lower classes aren't that bad after all. But <laughs> to actually, to actually become one, you know, the bit of the prince, prince and the pauper sort of storyline would be perfect for him. And and if we want to reintegrate him into the street on a more permanent basis, I think he does need to go to the bottom and then come back Work up his again. Way up. Yeah, I. Yeah. I, uh, and and he's also more Henry, more Henry. Uh, and as much as I did love the over the top Henry, maybe this new version of him is better to have as a yeah, sustainable, regular character. And I'm seeing, I have seen a lot more people this time round. Well, it's in the last few weeks, kind of saying, oh, well, you know, I, I actually quite like Henry. I'm surprised with how much I'm enjoying him. So if this little appearance was a bit of an experiment by the producers of Coronation Street, you know, dipping the toe in, and does Henry come back as a, a regular character at some point in the future, then I would hope that Ian McLeod is watching the reactions to this and saying, yeah, that kind of worked. I hope so. Yeah, me too. I don't see why he couldn't fit back in after this storyline. There's still lots to lots to say about that character. I, I, I don't know whether I'd necessarily want to have him coming back and pursuing Gemma again. It seems pretty clear that Coronation Street wants to keep her and Chesney together. Let's face it, I don't think there was any real risk of him prizing her away from Chesney and, you know, with all the all the upset that it would cause for the for the family. I, I think it would it would start to feel a bit repetitive if 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 he went to that well again, don't you think? I kind of wanted to see a scene with him meeting all the kids. I think that would have been a really funny way to have ended his story, like him coming around and he's like, "Hello, Actually, I quite hello, like that. hello." That hello. would have been brilliant Is to have him one? overwhelmed by quads, especially then, if they'd then... really liked him. Because that kind of reminds me of um, you remember the bit where he goes into the Rovers and he sees the pictures of, si- of little Simon there when he was a kid and pulls a face at him. Was it Simon? I think. I I don't know whether he'd fully considered the implications of of. Uh, of uh, of living with Gemma would also mean having to adopt all of these little little Gemmalings. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a bit doesn't it's a bit doesn't matter now, does it? <laughs> it well, maybe maybe they can have that the next time. You know, when he if he maybe comes they back, like, we don't he'll wanna... have one little shot at Gemma, get put off by the kids, and then goes off to someone else. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that that was kind of that was the end of Henry, and I I think. It was almost left in a way that it wasn't clear whether we'd see him again. And I don't think it was ever kind of put out there no, before I... my interview with George went up that that was his last scene. So <laughs> sorry to sorry to have to break that to people. That that was the end of that was the end of George. And and they filmed that scene very, very soon after we found out that he was coming back. So we kind of knew from the beginning that it was only gonna be a short stint. But as I say, I'd rather have a short stint than no stint. And he's made it over 50 episodes now, hasn't he? So. Yay! 
Now he's own... got his own Coropedia page. No, he's, he's got a, a list of oh. appearances page on Coropedia, oh. and it's not just featured on the bottom anymore. Oh. Okay. Um, we... That's fair enough. I, I would also like to, to give a bit of a shout out to, to Dolly and her um, her speech about Chesney and about how wonderful life with him is. As, as you know, as much as Chesney is, you know, he, probably not the most thrilling person to have as a spouse, she does love him. And, and I think that the way that she completely... Uh, walked all over Henry's um, proposal and, and kicked him to the ground and kind of made him think that he was getting something but then say no Chesney's the one that loves me I, I, I thought in a way that was quite sweet and um, when she goes back home later and tells Chesney all about this um, there's, yeah, there's, some, there's, there's some nice little moments with them uh, they 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 agree to have a happy ending and no they have what? a happy ending sorry huh? by agreeing Chesney and Gemma agree that they're going to have a happy ending <laughs> and if ever they, they they kind of make a pact that if they ever uh, if they're ever to come across Henry again they'll punch him in the face and then they they, they kiss over that the violent notion as, as, as much as I love Henry I thought it was quite sweet um, so Gemma goes to the pub and says to Jenny look Henry's got his pay off and I've lost my job I, you know he, he wanted to get into my pants like that just came into my head it didn't uh, it didn't Daisy pull a bit of a face when Gemma said <laughs> Henry wanted to get into my pants as Daisy imagining what was down there I think Daisy's probably just jealous because she would have been quite happy to have let Henry in her pants if she could get her hands on the Newton and Ridley fortune yeah probably actually mm. um she, she wants a shift back at the pub basically and Jenny's like no sorry the rotor's full and um and and I I don't do the hiring and firing in it anymore. I thought that was I hadn't really considered that. I, I didn't know what the rules were for when there's a bio of a pub. But Jenny says I can't say who works here anymore. At least for the time being, the Waterford group are my bosses now, and and it's up to them. And I have got to earn a bit of trust with them. So maybe that's one of the many reasons why Jenny wasn't super happy about this, yeah. the prospect of this buyout. Anyway, Gemma says, well, look, the, the only reason that the pub is saved is because of Henry, but. Nothing Jenny can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, they have they have a bit more of a mope at the end of the episode. Does uh, Chesney and Chesney and Gemma because they realise that they're still in the situation where they've got no money and Gemma ain't got no job. Um, and she, there was there a weird scene on Wednesday's episode with her and Dev and Chesney in the kebab shop, and I didn't really get what I can't remember what was going on there. It was another Dev being completely over the top about something I, I can't remember what it was anyway. Kind of funny, but a little bit weird. But yeah. Gemma wants shifts. She can't work at the back kebab shop because it's over overstaffed. Goes back to the pub and Jenny has. A re- she remembers that she's going off to to Paris with Stephen, and so maybe Gemma can work in her place when she's away. That was, is, is that how it works? If the manager of the pub, if the, if the bar, if the landlady is away, then you get Gemma to replace her. I I, no. I suppose that 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 often. Was that the thing in the past with Annie when she went away and he would take over? I can't remember, but I imagine that it was probably... Who's the most senior there? Who's going to take the Daisy. reins when... Do you reckon? Yes, yeah. there was a whole discussion about it. Oh, was it? Did they talk? Oh, sorry. Well, they, yeah, anyway. anyway. I mean, it doesn't matter. The story, the story ends. Gemma and Chesney having a snuggle, um, but, but Chesney's starting to worry a little bit about whether about whether Gemma's going to be all right. And, and that was it. Well, so. he's worried about her mental health and, yeah. and they're both worried about money. Yeah. I'd, ra- I'd rather this story had ended 
just on the positive. And I know that it's linked to the Paul story and they haven't got any money. Nobody's got any money, the pub's well, got no money. Well, it's the cost of living crisis. Welcome to the real world. Yeah, I just felt that this story would have had a, a neater end to it if everything was okay for them in the end. I suppose it partly means that there's more misery to come and I'm, I'm not particularly into that, especially if Henry's not around. Anyway, um, the, 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 the Stu and Eliza storyline was another one that was kept popping up for a couple of scenes per episode this week, didn't it? On, on Wednesday and Thursday. I suppose there was a bit more on Thursday, but it's still really going at a snail's pace. Do you want to quickly rush through this and remind us what happened here? On Wednesday, because Yasmin's in Pakistan, Stu has had to deal with Eliza by himself and he's decided to let Dom see her more. So on Thursday, um, Stu's, Stu and Eliza are talking about what they're going to... Eliza and Dom are going to do and they're going to watch all the Marvel movies together and uh, Stu's worried about the fact that they're a bit too advanced for her age and she says uh, she's she's uh, she can she's old enough. But... I think that that's probably being a little bit overprotective I mean yeah I can't remember how old Eliza's supposed to be but she said the movies are 12s aren't they but I, I think children her age will watch those. Eliza comes home later and Stu's trying to be supportive and he's bought her a superhero book because she's not really interested because she has started her period in PE and it's very embarrassing. I'm not sure if this is her first period or not. No, they didn't say, did they? I assume it's not. I I would assume not at her age, but it it could be. I'm not sure. She didn't seem as traumatised as you normally get with your first period. No, but then but she the way... she doesn't also that... seem to have any supplies. Yeah, no, exactly. She says, well, the schools have got all the supplies we need because Stu goes to the shop trying to be helpful and buys a whole aisle's worth of, of various so feminine wings, hy- hygiene wings, products. I've got your night wings, I've got your night ones, I've got your super absorbent, I've got your lights, I've got your heavy flow. And I've got some hot wings. <laughs> and uh, Eliza's mortified to hear that he has talked to somebody to help get advice for which ones to buy and she's so embarrassed she runs away and he's trying to say it's really it's normal and uh, <laughs> Arlie's just laughing at, at him and his him being naive about it he's doing his best he's doing his best they have to have a throwaway but... line about oh I, I never really did much about it when Bridget got her period it's like I, I get that it, I suppose you're supposed to be thinking oh well, you know he's left alone without Yasmin and now he he's these, he's a man how's he supposed to do that but yeah he, he has been a father himself but. I hope this was deliberate deliberate um I like I like the fact that Alia helps um Eliza pick out an outfit and then later on they're both wearing like this weird psychedelic oh, yeah. 60s sort of party yeah. tops um and Eliza's waiting because she's Dom's supposed to come and get her so they can watch these films and he he doesn't turn up and he's late and she's convinced he's gonna he's gonna arrive and Alia and Stu are both very uh skeptical and eventually um they they watch the movie together and um she gets a text to say that uh Dom's car's broken down and Alia and Stu do not believe this at all but Elias like oh phew there is a reason so we're starting to get a, a sense of of Dom being a flaky dad yeah maybe but I, this is why you know do it, it's only one it's only happened once you give him the benefit of the doubt I guess you do but Stu and, Stu and Ali are not, not I think it. I'd probably believe 
Dom in this instance only because it's like a, a classic soap thing of a, this person who's maybe suspicious then characters suspect him and then they turn out no you shouldn't have been suspicious of him all along and then he goes and does something else that's actually dodgy so um, yeah it's going to be the third time that he's dodgy guys yeah yeah any any huge opinions on this I, I certainly don't no I, I, I like the, uh, the shout out to watching Marvel movies chronological order instead of in the order of release because I've it's, done both and which do you prefer I, I couldn't possibly tell you what to <laughs> what to do I was um taken aback today when the Ardy and Courtney storyline just popped onto our screens I was like oh yeah that's that was going on wasn't it because well, the they're last back thing, from there back from their cruise aren't they and and she's um Yes, yeah, she certainly wastes no time in flinging herself all over him today. She's just kind of totally brazen with it, isn't she? And, and she's there flirting with him on the she's street, inviting randy. him off to spa days. She's just draping herself. I don't get why she doesn't care that she might be caught. I know like, the, the idea of the danger can be a bit of excitement for some people, but it would kind of destroy her way of life. Yeah. Like she's, she does have it easy living in probably, what's his name, Darren's massive house. But anyway, somehow the only person who can actually see any of this happening is Amy, who fortunately is the one that knows that it's going on. And she's trying to tell Ardy, you, I can't danger, believe how unsecret this a secret affair is being. And, um, and, and Ardy... They're having a meeting, aren't they? Yeah, De- Deb and Ardy and Darren are having a business meeting. This is what Ardy had told Courtney, sorry, I can't go to a spa day with you I've uh, because of because I've got this meeting with men and um and and, Ar- and Darren's there for just saying reason. oh for some reason you know had, getting into what kind of girls, girls are you into Ardy oh if only you knew and and Ardy's kind of getting flustered one because he's being asked, he, he's being asked these questions and two because he just gets this text message or a picture message of um. Uh, saucy face saucy Courtney in a, in a sexy bikini and uh, he says oh it's just just a girl next door type really and then there's <laughs> there's a couple of other scenes later where Courtney comes in again brazenly flirts and drapes herself over Ardy when Darren's back's or everyone else's back's turned in the bistro um, and uh, and Amy saying what what the hell are you doing and Ardy again is feeling um little bit overwhelmed by this which ties into what you've been saying previously about it being a little bit little bit groomy and a little bit little bit gr- grubby and and not the the sexy whirlwind of an affair i think he's he is kind of loving it he he likes he likes having an older woman but go on this this week it was a bit the age and power difference weren't as emphasized so it didn't feel as seedy and sordid and gross so maybe Corey's heard a bit of the feedback and toned it back a bit to how it how it was. I don't know. I don't. I I think that this was probably filmed before Courtney and Argie started. It's still not a sexy, saucy love affair. No, it's still a gross. He he's still saying he's still telling Amy. I I don't know what to do. She's just trying to grab me all over the place. And Amy's like saying, "Poor you, poor you." It's about he, it's about he a boy likes, being raped by his bosses. Yeah, he likes the wife. idea of it. It's still it is it is a little bit mixed messages. I I think, <sighs> um, and they, they they get into a conversation about her reminding us that she's smart and him saying, "Oh, you should be running the business." Oh, it's pathetic. She's like. I'm going to do a quote from Oscar Wilde. And he's like, you're so smart. And she kind of looks at him like, 
No one's ever said I was smart before. <laughs> Probably just read it off a board in the in a Waterford's pub down the road. <laughs> yeah, she just yeah she just got it out of a book that somebody she found on the floor outside the Rovers. Um, speaking of pubs, we did have a little bit of uh, of Jenny and Stephen. We kind of already explain what's happened here with the whole Paris thing, but um, Monday's episode just has Audrey and and Stephen talking about um, moving into the pub, and, and Audrey's kind of quite pleased to things to hear that things are going well with Jenny and um, she finds out that no she she when Audrey sits down Daisy tells sorry Audrey goes to the pub tells Jenny she's pleased with it but when um, Audrey sits down Daisy tells her look you need to be careful don't throw your money at Stephen willy nilly while you're offering to to pay for this trip to Paris yeah because she's got this money from the buyout because she she sold the Rovers to the Waterfords Mm. and so she's now flush and she's taking Stephen on holiday and Jen and Daisy's like, do not spend all your money. There really have been multiple Weatherfield windfalls recently, haven't there? Jenny's got this. Ronnie's just had his money in the bank account today. Michael's just got his nipper snapper money. Henry's just had a massive payout this week as well. The money fairies are smiling down on Weatherfield this week. Just, just not at Gemma clearly. Do you think that Jenny might invest in Enron? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think know. it's going to end up like another Pat Feeling where it's a building company. Everyone puts their money in and then the guy just runs away going, <laughs> I don't know. I feel bad already for Gemma in advance about when Stephen's killings are going to come out. Gemma or Jenny? Jenny. Jenny. I, I hope that I hope that we do get she some keeps the receipts. brilliantly acted scenes of grief and, uh, you know, when she finds out <laughs> that the guy that she's been bedding... Bedding? Off. Yes. What are you writing a medieval been. romance novel? <laughs> I'm trying to keep this PG. Um, <laughs> trying has... to keep this so that Eliza can watch it with her dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when when she finds out that he offed Leo, it's going to be tragic stuff. But I, I wish there'd been a little bit more of the development and that. I maybe we're not even going to hear anything about it again until they. I want to see France, them in I Paris. So they're not doing a location shoot. I don't think maybe they, they are. can go off with Netflix and they can film Emily in Paris and Stephen and Jenny in Paris at the same time. Yeah, maybe. I'd love that. <laughs> do, 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 we said do, that they should do Emily in Paris with Emily Bishop, shouldn't do, we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Well, we managed to keep that to a fairly short street talk this week. It's it's still past midnight now, and I've, I've got to get up in what, about four, four and a half hours or so. So um, we have already recorded the rest of the podcast. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but yeah, so I guess all that's left to do you've is got to score it and you've got to choose the and choose characters, characters of the yes. week. So um, I'm gonna. I mean, I, I think who's the character of the week? Is it is it Cassie or is it Evelyn? I'm I'm feeling that it's one of them. Have you got any any leanings or, or is it someone else? Is it Henry? Is it you know who are you thinking? I'm gonna pick. Oh, it's difficult because Cassie and Evelyn are both great. I think Cassie. I'm gonna give it to Cassie because we're seeing it from her point of view a bit more, and uh, I think that the whole storyline is just really compelling and interesting. Um, so yeah, I think Claire Sweeney's doing a really good job considering that she's being catapulted into the centre of the action. Mm. Um, she, I think, you wouldn't know that she hadn't been in it for years. I obviously still love Evelyn as a character more and I'm on Evelyn's side and everything, but I think it's, um, Cassie's mischief that was the, 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 the catalyst for much of the drama that went on in I that story this week. Much... So maybe because she calls that I give her character of the week too. I oh, don't know. okay. I don't know how much you're supposed to sympathise with Cassie or, or how much you're supposed to think that she's a wretched beast. But I really do sympathise with her. Mm. 
Like, in a way that, you know, in a, in sort of the same way that I feel bad for a lot of these characters that get themselves in sticky situations. I do, uh, yeah, I do somewhat. I think I think sometimes the sign of a, a great actor is when they can make you feel sorry for them, even though you kind of know deep down that they They're don't deserve your sympathy. I also want to give a shout-out to Henry, of course. Of course, But we'll see him back soon enough, hopefully. <laughs> and I'll give this week three and a half sweet potato family emergencies. <laughs> I was really hoping after... Um, Kevin had been introduced to the concept of sweet potato which I'm sure he didn't even realise existed before he had to feed it to Alfie that he might ask for some at the party when he went to, to Max no, not no, Max no, um, Ruby and Jack's Ruby and Jack's party I was kind of like expecting him to go you got any sweet potato fries <laughs> but he didn't he's not converted I am going to give this week's Coronation Street uh, let me just have a little look down yeah there, there was some, there was some great stuff. There's a lot I still, of um, still... food-related ones you've got here. Yeah. In fact, most of them are. Yeah. Um, I am going to give this one um, three and a half dirty protests. That's not a food-related one. No. Well, you know, it's maybe it comes after a bit of food. Mm. Um, out of five. Again, I'm stuck in a little bit of the three and a half rut. It was, it, it was, was solid. Solid, it, yeah, it, good word. It, yeah, it was. Solid it was... dirty protests. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, okay. Three and a half solid dirty protests out of five for me. Character of the week, Cassie. Good stuff. Right. We're done recording for the evening, but, but you've still you're got not plenty. Done listening, it's quite, quite a long news section as well. There's, there's all sorts yeah. going on. So um, enjoy it, but we're off to bed. Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's cabin time, and we start out with bad news, sad news. Yeah, this John is Don Stevenson, who was a very prolific Coronation Street scriptwriter, um, has died this week uh, he worked on 447 episodes from 1976 to 2006 so he had quite the career on coronation street and yeah. he was um responsible for some incredibly iconic and seminal scenes and roles on the show i i always feel bad when we talk about writers a lot of the time and, and you know i i don't always remember to look at who the writers were especially back in you know back before the podcast started it's not i something. think we're learning and but john, john stevenson's is name is name yeah to, that's that's you know one, one of the one of the real cory greats um and we also we praised the the, the writers and, and um we, sorry, we praise the actors and they really, you know, they put themselves out there and they create these roles as well. But the script writers also really deserve a lot of praise for the work mm. that they put in. And John Stevenson is not just Corey fans, but the people who he worked with um, have got so many nice, good things to to say about him and his career on Coronation Street. Yeah, I, I, for for me, one of my favourite episodes ever was penned by John, which was the uh, special Millennium episode with Raquel that going back to Curly. Probably the most that famous was... episode. If yeah. you if you say to a Crow fan that he wrote that episode, that means a lot to yeah. lots of different people. That was when she came back, and uh, that was the two. That was the two hander between was, Curly I mean, and he, Raquel. He was responsible for suggesting that was a two hander in the first place. Was he? As, as far as I, I can know, remember that. And that is a very bold Such... and um, interesting. Was that not the first one? That was Curry's first of two two-handers. Um, but yeah, it's it's got some brilliant dialogue in, but some such touching, touching Imagine moments between Curly and Raquel. And yeah, they you know they, they were my favourite couple when I first started watching it. I love the bit in the episode where uh, Raquel gets the phone call from her husband from Arnold. Oh, 
Arno. Uh, no, wanting to be husband, Ar- Arno, and she's speaking in French, and Curly's like, oh, you learned how to speak French, and she's just like <laughs> fluently chatting away. And I think that's the episode that's got the line where Curly says, oh, they, they drop their H's in France, we're a bit like France that way because we drop our H's around here. You see, that's why I'm not a writer. <laughs> and John Stevenson was, but he, he did that. He also did the uh, the QE2 special, the, uh, the first straight-to-video um, episode of Coronation Street that, that had, um, again, Curly and Raquel on, um, Reg, um, Rita Mavis going off the QET, partly set in Southampton as well, wasn't it? He, he, he did. He loved the city as much as I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I saw that lots, there's been a, a massive outpouring of, um, of, of sadness uh, on the on well, this I news. Mean, and, and I just wanted to, to point out that he was recently mentioned by Sarah Lancashire yes. in her speech at the NTAs where she won... You're spoiling the future well, I'm just saying, like, she, she literally <laughs> shouted him out yeah, yeah. Like, for his work on Coronation Street. Um, Darren Little, he um, was asked to write the, uh, the obituary for, um, for, for John Stevenson and he's saying... He said he. This is the high, the highest praise I can think of. Darren Little says, aside, Tony Warren aside, John was the greatest writer to ever work on Coronation Street, and he credits him with the creation of Mike Baldwin, Alec Gilroy, Jack Duckworth, Fred Elliott, Ashley Peacock, mm. and many others. Big, so, big, big names. And apparently, he was once voted scriptwriter, scriptwriter, scriptwriter by his peers. Um, best of the best, he mm. says, and that, that was such a touching tribute and. It's really sad, but the fact the fact that he was you know he's still being recognised in in speeches now for actors who have they've uh, got their leg up in the know, industry. Really, and... honestly, spotting talent, giving people great lines. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sad, but what a great legacy he leaves behind. Yeah, us. we had some of our listeners write in on Facebook group and messaging us about their memories of of, of John's favourite episodes and and how um, how he inspired them to like go into the world of media and things like that. It's yes. He's huge. yeah. Somebody like that can really inspire so many other people. And mm. I hope they realized how much he was appreciated. So, um, raising the glasses of Newton yeah. and Ridley, non-alcoholic for me. Thanks. I, well, maybe mine's there. Heineken. Oh, we can't even call it Newton and Ridley anymore. Can we? Why? Double glass of Waterford's. <laughs> doesn't, okay. doesn't like to have off the tongue to, uh, to John Stevenson. Well, we mentioned the NTAs. Yes. So didn't, didn't Sarah Lancashire do well? <laughs> thank you to John Stevenson and the Coronation Street crew for her success there. Obviously, <laughs> she, she owes it all to them. I haven't actually written down here what she got, but I know Happy Valley got. I think it was best returning uh, did, drama. I she got baddest bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that wasn't a war, she would have got that. I think it was like a serial, not not a serial drama, a, a proper. <laughs> I'll proper wash are, you, sorry. are you okay slap the back of my hand to give you a cold hot she, she, she got a like, dramatic performance I, like, I can't remember it was like it was a pretty NTAs, top one for a pretty for big a, deal yeah and but um and obviously the, and she got the the equivalent of the spell you know the special recognition award as well so she was yeah came away highly decorated and then much much deserved she is uh, she is Corrie's biggest export I think um, I was going to say there, there's been there's been a few other big names like your Catherine Kellys and Sharon Jones and everything there's been Coronation Street is fostered I, I, I think Sarah Lancashire you know, is up there I'm so there who, plenty, who was can I just also yeah. add in there are plenty of behind the scenes talent that Coronation Street oh gosh yes of course of course yeah. so but, but um, unfortunately as, none current in the show because they didn't get any awards <laughs> Coronation Street got no awards at the NTAs which means I think they're a load of crap I don't, and it 
irrelevant. I'm, I'm going to say I'm not surprised. Of course, there's been lots of discourse about this online, well, listen, on the subreddit, on the, the Digital Spy forums and everything. Curry got, Curry cleaned up. Curry did clean up this year at the Soap Awards. The NTAs are, the soap categories are, are viewer voted. And Corrie's wow. has often EastEnders. struggled with that. East End, although I mean, Corrie Nation Street has done well in the NTAs in the past. Like it was a couple of years ago, I think they did really well, and then they often do get the best newcomer award. But um, sadly, that um, didn't go to Shanique Sterling Brown this year. Who plays Dee Dee. Um, it was um, oh, what's his name? Bobby Watts's face. <laughs> you know that rising star. Bobby Dazzler. Bobby Watts's face. Um, Jade Goodison, who's uh, apparently playing a very good character um, in EastEnders oh, yeah. at the moment. Wow. EastEnders got best serial drama, and um, we don't need to talk about it. And, and and that Lola woman got one as well. But Corrie didn't. Hey, you don't need to denigrate people. You just don't have to mention I'm just, I'm just slightly bitter that it wasn't Coronation Street. But, of you course, know, like, like we said last Biased. week, EastEnders really is on fire, or so we hear at the moment. I and, and can I, just before Gemma does her fashion shout-out, I'd like to say how much I loved what the EastEnders ladies, the six, were doing with their fashion choices this week. So that, like... The, the poster for this, there's going to be a murder in, uh, in EastEnders. Yes, hang on. Got... We need to explain this to people who... Anyone who's not watching EastEnders, uh, they, they did a Which flash... Which you would be forgiven for because this is not an EastEnders I've... podcast. This is like twice in a row that I've gone on about great EastEnders. Yeah. I'm not to even watch it. Um, but they did a flash forward months ago, didn't they? Showing um, six on Walford Day? women finding a, a, a dead body. But who is it? Somebody's murdered somebody. And who done it? Yeah, on Christmas Day. So we'll, we will find out on Christmas Day. Picture, they're all, all wearing the different, very bright, bold colours and, and, and big puffs of powder paint or whatever behind them. And um, at the NTAs, all of those actresses wore those colours and they all kind of stood there in the order. It was like real brilliant marketing. They'll do it. Mm. Again, Chris Clenshaw in charge of EastEnders at the moment. Doing a very good job. Very, very good job. But, you know, Corrie's pretty good as well. And the, and the Corrie ladies and gentlemen did scrub up nicely, didn't they? I, I haven't got pictures of them all. And, and it, is a, it is a late podcast. But, um, Gemma, I thought How that you might, I... might, like, might like to um, do your fashion takes. Well, I can't see all the pictures. You just show me one. Well, hey, what do, have we got in have this got picture? picture? I've got plenty of pictures. Okay, well, Julie Goulding is wearing... I think that Julie Goulding and um, Charlotte Jordan wore very risque kind of skirts where you could see a bit of their leg. Bit of leg. So Julie Goulding's wearing a very nice black um, satiny top. Hold. Oh, no one cares. I don't. No one cares about this. What they, I'm they saying do. about this. this is the they all look gorgeous. Tradition. I know. Okay. Well, she's wearing an. I love this ruffled skirt look with the with the lovely. Um, black mm. satin top. I lo- I think Jane Danson's looking top. very very summery. I think that she's fitting this September heat wave very nicely with her um kind of. It looks a little bit like you know when you when you're little and you did marble painting and you you get marble and paint and you kind of rolled it around <laughs> around in a tray. It looks slightly like that or maybe a little butterfly picture. But I I, th- I think she's looking very very nice in that. Who else? Ooh. Tina Ob. Tina, she's wearing she's her like underwear. a Tinkerbell outfit. She's got she? a, a nice, um, what's it called, chiffony. It's like a beigey peach colour with a bustier top. Yes, she's definitely nice little, nice little ringy bits in her hair. Ringlets. Ringlets. I knew that was a word, but I didn't want to say it just in case oh, I was wrong. Yes, we've Carmen got... Duttines. Yes, that's right. We got Johnny Dutty. Johnny and Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Johnny's and, his and... real name. And Sal, yeah, and uh, he's wearing his signature hat, but it's a nod to this special occasion, so it's a, a cream one. <laughs> and he's wearing a black suit with a white t-shirt underneath, and she's got this beautiful mermaid 
kind of style, sequined pink with iridescent gleaming, long sleeve, lovely top. Lovely and sparkly. Oh yeah, Harriet Bibby got a big shout out on our Facebook group for looking very stylish. Yeah, I think she goes, you're um, a Facebook group's pick. Yeah, I think she, so. She always got, scrubs up very nicely, she, does she's got the bibster. A nice red figure hugging dress with a... A big uh, rose at her throat. She did. Um, she did the Star Tours just recently, didn't she, Harriet Bibby? And so did. Um, they had. They had. Um, Sally. Sally Denver as well this yeah. weekend. Kind of lucky people who got to meet her. That was a good one. Um, Elle Mulvaney is here as well. Yeah, Elle Mulvaney's wearing a nice, a black halter neck sheath dress, very sleek, and old Hollywood. And then we've got another picture here of Harriet Bibby with her, her gay dads on screen. We've got. Um, <laughs> Dan Brocklebank. Dan Brocklebank wearing a nice... It's kind of like a shiny suit, or has it got blobs on it? No, no, I think that's shadows. I can't no, there's, some, there's a shadow of somebody holding their phone up. We're just looking oh, through the yes. Coronation Street Instagram. Okay, we should have so said this, by the way, if you want is, to click Is it click navy or black, but it's got um, a sheen to it with a nice little bow tie, white shirt, and then Peter Ash has got a kind of checkered uh, grey suit top, black trousers, black blackish tie, I can't tell, and a white shirt. Very nice. Claire Sweeney. Sweeney. I like this. This is kind of this is kind of like a bridal dress, isn't it? It's an off shoulder. It could be, yeah. It's got like a sweetheart neckline with an embellished silver almost kind of um what's that turn of the century? Art decoy kind of mm, look mm. to it. Very, very nice. Definitely, she a, looks old definitely a lot more scrubbed up than she appears on Chandelier Coronation Street earrings. at the moment. There's there's Hollywood not much of a trace of Cassie hair, in her last blonde night. Blonde curls, red lips. She <laughs> knew where she was going. And then, is this the final picture? Um, I've, got, I've got maybe one Charlotte more. Charlotte Jordan and... Shanique, Shanique Sterling Brown. Brown. They they kind of coordinate here. They both do. Got they, they've got kind of semi-matching. I don't know. Do you think when they turned up, they, they like did the... Oh, oh you're wearing the same hat. Oh, no, it's well, similar. Charlotte's outfit. wearing a nice... Um, it's like a beige background, kind of skin tone for yeah. her, with red, it embellished, kind of poppy looking pattern over the top of it. And Shanique is a silver background with more of a pinky flower on there, very tropical looking with a nice fuchsia, um, kind of like dramatic neckline. Dramatic kind of like neckline. A, kind of like a big old scarfy thing, isn't it? And her hair piled beautifully on top of her head and they're both wearing necklaces, very right? serene expressions that can say, we just, can we just, I don't um, need an award because I know I'm fabulous. I've got and one more here exactly as well. We've got, we got more. There's lots of colour. You know, yeah, I love more the, the colour on fuchsia, the red carpet. A really nice, big, blousy shirt in a fuchsia um, bold colour with black um, capri trousers and a nice pair of black heels. She looked great, and she and she's got like a she got a big pair of earrings on her. Is that yeah? She does. Yeah, she does. She and does a nice kind of string of pearls, maybe. I don't know, but she looked great. Yeah. Who's your tailor love? I love it. I want to know her more in Lippmann. She said the other day that she was going to be showing off her new man at the awards tonight, didn't? Maybe uh, her man the other is night. just a beautiful shirt. <laughs> maybe it is. Anyway, very very it's lovely. The era, Michael. Very nice Coronation Street. You all scrubbed up beautifully. Something scrubbed up. They all look fabulous all the time. Um. So moving up, that this is news ish. This is something that we. This is corner. controversial issue that we probably shouldn't be saying this doing this recording this late at night but deadline which is a website that i'd never heard of ran this are you kidding me yes 
right, okay. I don't work in the media, Gemma. I am education sector. Um, they are. They have reported that ITV is in some kind of negotiations with Equity about provisions for AI and cloning. Um, I said that. Have I not? Excuse me. Coronation Street actors to appear in things. Send me kudos for calling this out. Years ago, this was going to happen. Did so, I not say this years ago? This was going to happen. So basically, people. I, I don't know. Which, I mean, obviously, Equity, the the acting union, doesn't like the idea of artificially generated Coronation Street stars and anything, and they want the performers to be able to do all the performing and get the the. the they should. Can the, I just say? For it and they should never ever do this for less than they would have got paid to do it in person. No, I, I agree. Um, so but obviously, they're not going to necessarily no, have the choice there, and. There's just discussions about how it's going to work in, in, in the future, yeah. Um, so they, they have stressed that any deals that they might be making are a way off, but this could see maybe the likes of Coronation well, Street on. actors appearing in other... I don't, I, I well, don't hang know. hang on, listen. Listen. Is it for... What? Listen. So they are talking... Equity and... Um, ITV. ITV. And uh, there's going to be other studios and producers, etc., who are going to have deals... But basically, this this could be the blueprint for how acting is and, and yeah. AI gets. I, I think that this is quite further on. ahead than some of the other like BBC soaps. So are, if for if they come to an agreement, the idea is that ITV, who or insert company here, would have permission to use the likeness and the face, etc. And, of and the actors. AI voice as well, I Voices. imagine. Voices. They're already doing this for voice acting. Mm. I know this for a fact. They're already doing this. And they've done it without permission. So they're getting ahead of this, which is good. So they could use them to act any, in anything, which is incredibly dangerous and not at all... like people. I know that lots of people are very cynical about actors and why they get into it. And yes, there are people that only go into it because they want to be famous. But these, there's lots of people who are artists and genuinely care about the craft of acting. I know you find that some people find that hard to believe, but this is true. Creative people go into this kind of stuff because they care about their art and they want to create things. Do you remember? And, and the impulse to create things does not go away just because an AI computer can come along and churn it out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty against as an act, the... I, not as an actor, as a writer, I am very much against the use of this. I would never use this to replicate someone else's work. I think it's unethical to use AI to replicate someone else's work. We've done it on the show for a joke as part of an entertainment thing, making it clear that we were not using it to replace anybody's job. Nobody lost money out from us doing it for a bit of a laugh. Mm. But if we were to use it to write scripts for Coronation Street or replace the actors, I think that would just be completely wrong. And yeah. I've said that from the very beginning, well, ever since I had that stupid the advert Galaxy with Aud advert. With Audrey Hepburn, yeah. I've hated it for, since I saw it. I think it's a bad move. I think it stifles creativity. Uh, the idea that you can just chat, you can just plug in human creativity up to this year and say that it can just create forever onwards an infinite amount of um, completely original stuff is just wrong. I don't know whether I'd be 100% against if for whatever reason a character was scheduled to appear in a scene and then they couldn't for like health reasons or, or whatever and, and they were vital to that scene and 
well, not vital to the it's scene. It's a slippery but slope. I, I know we it's a slippery slope. We can get into a very lengthy discussion about this, which we do not have time for. I mean, for, for example, we do. I think we should do a. Look, look, for example, let, let me give a coronation street. About this. A coronation street example. When um, it was Linda's, Linda Sykes's final appearance on Coronation Street, and she was getting into that yeah. car, they had to use a body double because the actress had gone home, and they had her having a okay. big hat, and you couldn't see it was her. Possibly in moments okay. like that, maybe can I'd I say just that's... say something. I don't know the situation. What I don't know what happened there. I don't know why she went home. But oh, I think it was okay. I'm not going to speculate because no, I, think I don't I think it's our place. But if I was an actress and I was completely apart from this scenario, completely different scenario, not linking the two, and I was to say, "Screw you, Corey. I'm going home. I'm not working for you anymore. My contract's over. Bye. You're not paying me. I'm not going to stick around." I would then want them to go, that's fine, we're just going to use an AI stand-in. We don't actually need you here. Go home, we're not going to pay you for it. No, no, stuff it. I know, I know. They're... Think about some um, character. There are loads of characters where... And when you're at, when you're acting, you're making choices the whole time about how you're going to perform a scene. And sometimes the, the things that, that work beautifully are the unexpected choices. Okay, take an example. We talked about Sarah Lancashire. Remember that scene, that great scene, where we had um, uh, Raquel and Bet after hours both getting drunk and then you get yeah. her, you know, her smoking and, and talking about her past. I know that that was based on the script that has already been written by, you know, an AI in the future maybe. But those kind of cho choices that are sometimes a bit out of left field are the ones that, that sometimes are most impactful and you can't rob actors of making that decision for themselves for a character and I know we've talked about how um, script writers and storyliners etc and production staff help create a character but the actor also has input on that what about what about if it was a Coronation Street wedding and they used an AI version of a character I'm who... I'm going to be opposed to no, no matter what you It's say. not going to work, is it? It's not... I, I, it is a slippery slope. I mean, ITV has already made um, steps towards the world of AI acting with that... Uh, what was it called? Deep fake. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was it's weird, but it shows... That, yeah, that's, that's right. And it shows that they can be very, very realistic. Um, Can I just say I'm, that there so is... I, I'm, to I'm very, very glad that these negotiations are taking place. The and negotiation should be that the, the, this thing only happens with the express complete permission yeah. and approval of the actors involved in the scenes and they get final say on everything and, and just create so much work that it makes it detrimental to even bother. Hmm. I mean, I think we've if... spoken before on the show about how exciting it would be to be able to do a AI generation version of an old, old Corrie scenes where you can like use Ina Sharples and use all these characters and um, generate a, a scene using those. It sounds really cool, but the implications for human beings are so sinister and wrong because if you're going to create a television show that is based on the AI performances of, of people that have died decades ago who is getting paid for that mm. and if i'm and if i work for a, a computer production um a television production company and i've got the choice between choosing an actor who costs nothing because they're dead or choosing a live one i'm going to choose the dead one yeah. and then we're going to have creativity stifled and nothing's going to ever progress because we're going to be churning out the same old stuff over and over again and reanimating corpses like a i nearly swore a zombie film it's just it's just wrong but 
if you are interested in AI and um, there is a really interesting short story which is called The Great Automatic Grammatizer. 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 It's by Roald Dahl. It's from 1954. And you can find it online. It's a free, it's a short story that he wrote and it is about AI generated stories. I haven't, I, I think you I'm should like read this. Everybody who's interested in AI should read this story, which is, you know, nearly, how old is that? Like yeah, 70, 70 years, years old. old yeah. um, the imagination of this guy and just to think, you know, you could plug all of his work into it and AI. Would you come out with something? Mm. I don't know. It, it's just not, it's just not right. There Hard are people alive. From Gemma here, there are people alive that want stuff. to create stuff for money. Pay mm. them to do it and pay them to do it in person. I, it's just wrong. I fully agree with you, and I, I cannot express it quite as. Um, I was excited about the idea of AI for a long time when I, you know, before I really thought about the implications. But the creative, the the arts, is one of the few things that we have left as as human beings that cannot be created by in a factory by a robot, and we're just giving it away. Yeah. We should not be doing this. Mm. Equity. I really hope that you guys have the balls to just say. You're not doing it unless it has the absolutely express creative sign-off of the people that are involved. You, they need to get you involved in the negotiations. I'll go in there. My, my working that class background with, with unions, I would be fantastic at being a union rep. <laughs> get me in there. Um, speaking of creativity, let's move on to the next one. I just love it. Oh, you're, so, you're so good. I love it when you got really passionate about something. Well, I'll tell you it's what fantastic. helps. Booze. Um, last couple of things. So, um, if, yeah, I think it was last year they did a real full Monty with uh, various celebrities getting their kit offs for Christmas. And this year on ITV, do we it will, now. Do it now will, when it's hot. We will. Sit, well, they're probably filming it now, aren't they? Computer we generated. got um, Corey alumni <laughs> Sherry Hewson, who played Maureen Holdsworth, and Victoria Ekenoy, who played Angie Appleton, are going to be um, getting it off for the lads in the real Hang full on, Monty and the this Christmas. And the ladies. And anyone who wants to see. Anyone who wants to look. Non-binary people. People. This, this is actually this is actually something that's um, got is a really serious message as well. Yeah, yeah. This is this is so this, is TV. this is TV. You, we, we've we've seen in the news about um, Victoria's cancer battle that she's uh, that she's been through in, mm -hmm. in recent years, and this program is all following celebrities I'm reading from the press release here as they overcome their fears and insecurities about performing and bearing all the show will reveal the deep personal and significant reasons why each person has decided to take part in raising awareness of cancers in intimate areas oh, of the gosh. body and crucial importance of early self-check so they're doing it for for a fun but it's also got a really serious Have message there as well and um yeah yeah good on them for for for, for, <laughs> you catch me doing that I tell you what I tell you well, what you should always check whether you want to show everybody or check, not check your bits um, and finally um, Sally Carmen Dutteen is going to be um, turning her hands to directing tour. coming up soon she can oh, see, yes. she sees the future the AI is going to replace her she's like I'm going to be directors <laughs> can't have AI directors yeah she's doing yeah, something she at the, um, the JB Short Festival at Manchester 53's 2 venue in October um, she put out a message I think it was on her Instagram this week saying that she's going to be directing a piece by Lindsay Williams, who is um who was a Cory story editor and story producer uh, until last year, I think. Um, and they're they're going to be doing a short plays thing there in October, running from the third to the fourteenth. Um, I, I I would I would love to go and see this and support Zell, but I don't think we can um so we can manage that? a trip. Uh, first week of October. It's, it's oh yeah. So so but I thought that there was um so this is six fifteen minutes. Week. Six. 
15 minute plays and also additionally Shirley Houston is going to be directing one as well oh, nice. uh, the before and the after mm. so I think that um, Sally Carmen is directing I'm just quickly looking with my eyes what's your poison? I just thought of something else we haven't mentioned that's also deadly important Charlie DeMello is doing quarter mass this weekend isn't he? he is indeed our lovely Charlie is going to be Charlie. performing on stage. Yeah. Very cool. There's all Quarter sorts Mark going on. So Devaney's amazing... got a show going on this Saturday night as There's well. There's also um, a, uh, a panto. There is, there is a panto coming up. There, there was... We won't say anymore. We won't say. It was an announcement of a panto. Um, there may be a bit of spoiler in there. But I reckon that you won't be able to replace live performance with an AI. Oh yeah, imagine that AI panto. And also appearing alongside Charlie DeMello um, in Quartermass is going to be Topi Haddoku. Oh, I can never remember yeah. how to say it. I'm he, very, very he, sorry. Topi Haddoku played Fergus. Um, Cherry Lee Houston's bring other back, half. Bring him back. Bring back Fergus. I know. I'd love to see Fergus back I really back liked Fergus. He was great. Yeah. So he was the guy who played Izzy's boyfriend during lockdown. No, no, no. He was Lizzie's neighbour, who sorry. we suspected I'm there sorry. might be something going on I think on I've given there. away some private information but, about Izzy's, Izzy's I was, life I was there. At, he, And then he came onto the street for an episode or two because he was he a was parking great. ticket inspector, yes, wasn't he? He, he had a few scenes with Sally. I think him and um, anyway, Maria need to have Good a luck to, to all Corrie folks who may be treading the boards soon. Oh, and also, Maureen Lippman's doing a show on the Isle of Wight. She is. She's doing one. Um, yeah, I've been wondering if I'm going to that. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's something very... It's something literary. poetry. Above our heads, I'm sure. Loads of stuff, loads of stuff. Right, I'm thinking, thinking about the hour, that we might not do a feedback session today. And I feel really bad because um, I was asking in last week's episode for people to start emailing us things. We didn't actually get many emails. But we can just quickly do... Right, we'll do an abridged version, okay? So we're going to do the do-do-do and then we'll come back and do it quickly. Oh, okay. Right, okay, so super abridged feedback section. So it's not actually late at the moment, but it's the last bit of the podcast and we're just about to go and watch tonight's Coronation Street, but which I'm sure will be fantastic. Dinner first, and we it's do... like twenty minutes. Yeah. So... so average score for last week's Coronation Street on the Facebook group was exactly three point five, so a nice round number there. Judith gave it three kisses and a winky face from Big Garth out of five. And and talking of winkies, Liam rated it three and a half Willy Westby. <laughs> Which is the thing that I, Simon was called with his team I, bag. Right, carry on. Michelle was my pick of the week who gave it poor, four pounds to a pinch of snuff out of five. And I, I just like that one because it was a funny phrase that uh, Debbie used last week. I'd never heard of it before, but it sounded well, proper northern. I don't want to be sexually harassed by the feedback section anymore. So everybody calm down, please. Mm. So Gabrielle gave us an email. I think it's Gabriel. I apologise. <laughs> um, the scenes between Dev and Bernie on Friday were a real highlight of the week for me, says Gabriel. Those two are so dynamic and interesting together. We've seen that in a comedy way before and now we're starting to get some more dramatic content between them. Really is amazing stuff. Dev, Bernie, both funny characters with very specific, often conflicting worldviews, but they're also both single parents to twins who would do absolutely anything for their children. Sorry, I want to say sorry, Gabrielle. Sorry. <laughs> it's a fine. Um, this reminds, this is giving me flashbacks to first school when I thought I could be the angel Gabrielle and I was told that it was a boy and I was I think, it, I, think I used to think as well when I was little that Gabriel was, was a girl's name <laughs> sorry sorry it's nice that Gab- boys look name. angels and writers in of conversation straight can be whatever gender they select yeah um, fascinating Gabriel says to watch Dev come around to protecting Bernie's secret that last scene really felt like a beautiful illustration of the shift from emphatic denial um, to emphatic connection 
unlike Bernie, Dev's generally been able to provide for his children. It's probably hard for mm. him to really wrap his head around how it must feel to not be able That's to really do that. Yeah. I know. I love this. I love this, this comment. This was this was posted on our Facebook group. I pinched it for the podcast. And um, what really brings him round is when Bernie says. It'll be too late soon. And it becomes oh. clear that Dev is in some degree of denial about Paul dying. Yeah. Think about he can't even to, he can't even reference death, needing to use the euphemistic, what if something happens to him? Yeah. This is the moment where it seems to land for him and he realises that Bernie really is running out of chances to provide for her son and do something to improve his quality of life. He's having to watch his partners live out his worst nightmare, losing a child. And it's clear he's struggling to accept the emphatic implications of this, namely that he too could lose one. It's such a subtle and well-acted scene that so beautifully illustrates this kind of shift in thinking. I hope we really get to see some more of Devon Bernie in this storyline and so show some of the ways that Paul's illness is affecting their relationship. I think there could be some incredibly powerful scenes with the two of them going forward. I love it. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'd like to go back and watch that scene again now with fresh eyes because I, I think that one maybe passed me by a little bit, but I do love it when there are certain scenes. I mean, these script writers pour their hearts and souls into every scene that they write for Coronation Street, I'm sure. And uh, I, I, they, they must love it when particular moments um, that they that they work really hard on trying to get that emotional um, response from the audience um, really works, like it did to, from, from Gabriel there. That was, yeah, very, very... Well put. Thank you, point. Gabriel. Well, just looked at your picture on our Facebook group, and I apologise for calling you Gabriel. <laughs> um, right. What else we got? Who else we oh, got? Oh, we got, we got George. Oh yes, we just had an email come in from George, didn't we? Not not George Banks, another George. George Hand. George Banks is not a real person. He is too. Uh, <laughs> Did I have an interview with an AI George Banks this week? George Banks is a character <laughs> on Mary Poppins. Right, go on, go on. No, not really. Uh, right, so George wrote in to say, Told you so. I feel like I should be doing the Told you so dance from Will and Grace after seeing some of the antics from some troublesome characters this week. First up is Henry. I feared his return would lead to yet another affair storyline, but I didn't expect the lovesick puppy to actually go down on one knee or indeed for Gemma to stay faithful. As given how irritating Chesney is, I wouldn't blame her if she cut her losses and run. But did Henry realise they would have to have cared for four children? <laughs> I have to say, was George, brought up in the interview as well. A lot of people definitely were worried that this uh, return would lead to an affair. So I'm glad that it didn't go down that route. Mm, mm. Uh, George also says, and then there's that skank Cassie. Skank, I didn't know. Skank. I feared that she was going to cause trouble for Evelyn and finally Tyrone saw his mother for what she really is. Part of me wishes Fizz was back so we could see her reaction to this story. But at the same time, it's doing just fine without her. Yeah. It's just ticking along, isn't it? But hopefully she'll add a bit of fire when she returns. Um, yeah, we got a story, a, a very long email from Rebecca. <laughs> it's funny. But Rebecca's email says this email will be short and sweet. Rebecca okay. just got too many thoughts. Yeah, are you, are you gonna? Oh yeah, she's thoughts about um, the 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 Ryan scene. That reminds me, somebody pointed out to me on our Facebook group this week that it was possibly the ring light that Ryan borrowed from um, Daisy that was able to give him the scar removal fit. Uh, do you reckon? Oh, they... I don't think it well, works it, I, I, that, that way. No, no, somebody says they've got one that does that. We don't understand because we're fuddy duddies. Hang on, hang on. You can get a ring light that removes your scars. Is there a ring light that can make me skinny? Yeah, probably there how, is. And how much is it? <laughs> Would you do the interviews then? Yeah. Do you it's a video podcast? Yeah. Anyway, um, Rebecca talks about um, 
Um, I did enjoy the Ryan stuff this week, though, and him using technology to erase the scars I didn't think of using. Um, however, if this guy wants to meet up with him or live, maybe does this... Uh, does, could this be a bad move from Ryan? Um, yeah, that's a good point. There could be a, a meet-up um, forthcoming that um, could lead to, to, to some surprise... Etc. <laughs> Rebecca also is worrying Sorry. about Jenny getting into a pit of trouble with with Stephen, which I think is a reasonable thing to to worry about. And she loves that Debbie doesn't doesn't care about the consequences of of James. And um, she also talks about the fact she doesn't care about Dom and Eliza, which I think. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I think. Are you, I'm, are you using the power of AI to summarise Rebecca's email here? You well, she enjoys Cassie, and she reckons that that Dav, that sorry, Dev was um was also acting as bad I, well, as I was, she was when they were getting drunk. I was together. messaging back and forth with Rebecca earlier this week, and and she did say that maybe we could skip the feedback and the news section. So I'm sure she won't mind. Well, if there's a few lines the of character of the week for, for her truncated. was Carla, and she gives this week three and a half. Members of ABBA that Bernie has to look after out of five. <laughs> who's, the, who's that a poor member of ABBA that's lost half of their body? It's an, it's an AI generated one. We'll never know, will we? There, I think. Yeah. Um, Nancy also um, sent us an email, of course, last week um, saying that Nancy's going to make sure Stephen pays back Audrey with a snap of money. What did I say? You said Nancy. Nancy's going to make Nancy sure Nancy would get do down what she can, but Sarah's she's not a character sure. in the show. Um, She's talking about loving Jenny and Stephen together. I wonder, yeah, Nancy says, I wonder how Elaine's going to react to the news. We haven't heard from Elaine yet or um, about what she thinks. I think yeah, exactly. She, she hasn't pro- been in the she, show for no, ages. No, she, she's not. Since, well, she, she swanned off, didn't she, after after calling it quits with Stephen. Um, but, yeah, she she just... I'd hope that she'd want to get in there and warn Jenny off, but I know Don't that know. Jenny wouldn't listen to Does this. Does the sisterhood exist in Weatherfield? Not sure. Um, Nancy also hopes that, that Henry's going to ha- stick around a bit more, but I'm sad to say that he's yes, not going email to. email written before um, um, And she liked the dismissal. Paul and Billy skinny dipping scenes. We all did, I think. Um, and we all know where that <laughs> is some located now. Others, some if you go to our, oh, It's on our map now? Yeah, yeah, it's on our yeah, map. Yeah, if you go to our... Um, Coronation Street filming locations if you want to recreate that scene with or without uh, your own Billy slash Paul uh, feel free um, and she's also um, happy that uh, Yasmin's going to Pakistan I think that just gave a bit more room for Dom and Stu to yes. have their little um, tete-a-tete or whatever and Nancy finishes off by saying it was wonderful to see Evelyn at Tyrone's house with Cassie Hope and Ruby and she thinks that that Cassie might end up stealing money from the uh, garage, which is interesting. Well, uh, it was close this week, wasn't it? When yeah, she had exactly. her fingers in that petty cash box. She gives this week, it's episode three and a half, wet spoons that Simon used out of five. <laughs> Character of the week is Jenny. Shout out to Carla. Thank you very much, Nancy. And thank you much, Gemma, for your excellent um, summarising skills. Thank you've been, you very you've much. You've been a great little orator today you know on I am? This, this week's podcast, Gemma. An editor. Yeah, I literally job, can do it? it on the fly. On the fly. Right. Um, I, I'm thanks. probably missed out some very important things from everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I don't actually you, know everybody. when this. I'm, I'm going to try and get this episode out before I go to school tomorrow. But um, yeah, hope you enjoy it. Um, and and you get to you get a chance to listen early. Corey's back on Monday. We got normal time uh for our, for a podcast. We might next have week, some I updates think. about what we got up to at the weekend. But oh, who knows? Tease. Who knows what we are doing <laughs> and why we're doing it? I don't who know can myself. Say? Who can and say? We hope that you enjoy Coronation Street related things happening. This episode conversationstreet at gmail.com for the emails you can find us at conversationstreet.podbean.com leave us a review 
on iTunes. You can also score us on Spotify. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter slash X. Is anyone calling it X still? <laughs> you can find us on YouTube. And if you would like to join our Patreon, we would really appreciate it because that's what helps fund our ridiculous trips to <laughs> up north uh, at the drop of a hat to try to do some fun stuff for the podcast. Yes. Um, and we're also going to be doing our Patreon episode, our most recent one, was watery moments, mm. which you might enjoy. We're not doing a Patreon episode for a while, though. We're not reaching the end of September. You're just willing your birthday here, Gemma, aren't you? Yeah. We're still in there, isn't I think... I think our Patreon episode for October should be Gemma's top five birthday moments. Let, don't forget to let us know about sound levels as well. Either, are they okay? Are they terrible, but you were just too polite to let us know before? Is it tolerable? And, and, and yeah, is it tolerable? And is there a way that you can think of that we can make it better? Do we need little clips on our I, t-shirts see I, I i like i like us just being able to you know, sit down next to each other and blob around a little bit and having the idea of having a big headset on it's fairly unappealing if I we had a headset on we wouldn't be able to tell when the cat was there's all there's also like danger i don't know if, if you've got your microphone there and i've got my microphone here why doesn't my voice go in your microphone is there some kind of doubling up i i, I don't I understand that feels like course. it's do you reckon? Yeah, it just feels so. like it's too much work. I think we just like being I a little bit rough and ready. But if it spoils it. your listening, uh, if it spoils your listening experience, you you, you got to let us know and we'll see what we can do. I think we right. should be like old school, like nineteen seventies BBC, like horse racing uh, announcers, and just stand by the side of the the action with a big microphone in our hands. Do you think? There you go. Debbie's approaching the bench chair and I think she's going to go for it. Oh no, there's a last minute attack for him there. It looks like he's going to go gambling in the afternoon. I don't think I've had either of us fancy holding a microphone for three hours plus every Friday night. Good for your grip strength. Um, right, with that, thank you for listening everybody. See you next time. And the music for this episode came from podcastthemes.com. Podcast